Hello, it's me again with another content warning, and it's another doozy because this month we are discussing and mentioning suicide, anti-Semitism, and racism, so if any of these topics do not agree with you, please exercise caution while listening. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. Let's, 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 I, I, I got a killer headache. I got 12 movies that I did not particularly enjoy, <laughs> and a bunch of fun facts about them. I'll be ready to go. Uh, well, get that painkiller in there, I guess, and we'll get into it. Welcome back to another episode of I'd Like to Thank My Wife. I am Tijo E's co-host. I am E, Tijo's co-host. And today we'll be taking you through the movies that were nominated for Best Picture at the 7th Academy Awards. There's 12 of yeah. them. There's 12 today. There's 12. It keeps getting worse. It is simply <laughs> too many movies. There is too many movies. There is too... I'm glad, I'm so glad this is a monthly podcast. <laughs> because imagine... Oh, imagine like doing it weekly. Uh huh. I'd, 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 I would simply Not. shoot myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there were a lot of movies this time around. 12. We watched all but one because it is not available to us. Yeah. So, you know. It's the last one we'll talk about as well. So, it'll be a quick little, little side note in the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are, are you ready? I, I guess I am. Then I will take you to the 7th Academy Awards, honoring the best films for 1934. It's, it's very hey. simple now. It's just, if it was released in 1934, all good. So nice. Ceremony was held February 27th in 1935 at the Biltmore Hotel in California. And that, yeah, as of this ceremony, the Academy Awards eligibility period will coincide with the calendar year. Yes. 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 We're going to get a few exceptions to that, but not until the COVID no. pandemic. No. So we're, we, that's way off. Oh, we're good. We're, we're all good. We're good. fine. Um, so our winner this year sweeped the top five awards. Oh, the okay. The first of only three films to ever do that. Oh, it was a big one. It was a, a big, big, big movie. Yeah. Okay. So... This year, uh, we have a few new categories. We have Best Film Editing, Best Original Score, and Best Original Song for the first time. Oh, I love that. Those are yeah. all good categories to award. I really do like those categories. This is also the first of only two years ever in which write-in candidates were permitted, uh, because the year before, Betty Davis was snubbed for of human bondage, and people got so upset about that Ooh. that they uh, they were like, okay, fine, we'll let you write stuff in. It's okay, which is probably <laughs> why we have... 12 movies right okay 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 so like the general public was allowed to nominate is that what that means uh no this means that if uh so normally for the academy awards there's a short list and then people can yeah. vote on that and that is how the thing gets decided mm -hmm. for this time the people voting could just write in whatever they wanted to write in like that okay yep that's why there's 12 movies yep. i'm kind of surprised it wasn't more than that then yeah me too honestly yeah i mean i suppose it does need to get like a certain amount a certain of... amount right yeah 
Okay, cool. So yeah, other little fun things. We have one fact about the... Well, two facts about the Best Actor nominees, actually. This was oh. the last time until the 95th Academy Awards, the most recent one, mm-hmm. that all Best Actor nominees were first-time actors. Oh, I like that. To be fair, there was only three of them, but <laughs> still. But still. <laughs> but still. Then there is also the fact that Clark Gable, who was in hmm. It Happened One Night, he is the first best actor born in the 20th century, 1901. What? Yeah. Oh, we're yeah. so far back. We're so far back. <laughs> we are so, so far back. Okay, gotcha. So, um, that's these these awards. We have uh, a little honorary award, but we'll get there when we get to the honorary awards. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, 12 movies to get through. Yeah, there's... 12 movies i think this year overall though it wasn't a bad year but it also wasn't a good year it's it wasn't a shining many... one there was a few that i really enjoyed but most of them i was just very meh about yeah it's very mid yeah kind of like not super bad not super good most of them then again this might also be because last year we just had such a good oh, year. Oh, it was such a good year. It's like coming here now is it feels a bit less. You yeah, know. it wasn't it was never gonna be as good as the six Academy Awards. Yeah. But let's get to it. There are some good ones in there, I think. There are some good ones in there. Exactly. Quickly checking if there's any other fun facts that I have. Oh yeah, the well uh, for the third year in a row, the best short subject cartoon goes to Walt Disney. But, you know, what else Whoa, are we... surprise. <laughs> what else are we expecting? So, yeah, besides that, I think we should get started on the first one, which is the Barretts of Wimpole Street. The Barretts. Yeah. Norma Shearer is back once Norma again. Norma Shearer. She is not leaving. This and Frederick is... March. And Frederick March, who played Mr. Jekyll and... Um, no, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yep, absolutely. We're going to see him a couple more times, actually. Nice, nice. Yeah, he's he's going to be in a few few big ones from here on out. But uh... And I think, honestly, more important than Norma Shearer and Frederick March, Flush as himself. Uh, this is the dog. Oh, he, yes. He gets yeah, credited yeah. as himself, which I thought was adorable. <laughs> but, okay, this is a movie that... Yeah, r- run us through it. T- yeah, it takes place, I think, in the nine. No, wait, yeah, 19th century. It's older stuff. Mm-hmm. Norma Shearer plays Ba, or I think her full name is Elizabeth, but everyone calls her Ba. Yeah. She has an awful haircut. <laughs> she I does. hate it to look at it. Um, <laughs> and she is sick, and she is the daughter of a fairly wealthy man. But he is very strict on his daughters. And for some goddamn reason, he is like, you will never marry. I don't want you to find a man. You're not gonna leave me, blah, blah, blah. And Ba is his favorite daughter. So when she finds a man that she's in love with and this man kind of helps her be able to get better again and walk again. And they kind of credit this man as to like, oh. She is now happy enough and has a determination to be able to go to Italy, I think. They want to go together. Um, Mm. And her father finds out and he's like, no, you're not going to do that, blah, 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 blah. But, um, you know, love prevails. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 You agree? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's pretty much it. This one was all right. 
I didn't like it that much. It's it was okay. It's based on a true story. Mm, okay. Or it's, I should say based on a play based on a true story. Mm-hmm. And that's really all there is to say about it. You can't really, you know, drag the writing that much because not only is it based on something that was already written, it's based on something that already happened. Yeah, it's just... It's kind of it, it's kind of boring. It drags a little. The Papa guy is just like Papa from Stranger Things. He's, no, whatever. No, like he's no. annoying as fuck. He just keeps being like, "No, you're not allowed to marry." Blah blah blah. Mm. I don't think at the end he kind of gives a reason for it, like troubles he had with his wife or some reason, but it never gets explained very well. So it just feels like this guy is annoying. Yeah. Dot. Like there's nothing more there. No, I I, I would agree. You know, cinematography is very... With a lot of these movies, it's very... Yeah. N- not special, it's just wide. Wide after wide, and then sometimes a medium shot. But, like... <laughs> and it's all still shots as well. It's, yeah, it's very know. much based on a play, and they, they ran with that. They didn't, like... Yeah. Well, if you didn't like this one much, I might recommend you Flush a Biography by Virginia Woolf. Do you know who <gasps> Virginia Woolf is? I... Yeah. Okay, well, just checking, because, you know, you didn't know Treasure Island. Uh, yeah, so because this play is based on these letters between Robert and Elizabeth, mm-hmm. these letters exist. We can read these. Oh. Yeah. And so Virginia Woolf wrote Flush, a biography based on the letters, but from the perspective of Flush, oh. the dog. Oh. Which I think arguably is the best way to get yes. the story. Uh, yes. There's just no... You know, she she did a really, really emotionally draining novel called The Waves, and it was like this really heavy experimental thing about cryptic uh, soliloquies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then she was done with that and was like, dear God, I need something light. Time for the dog. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Yeah, I like that. The dog was cute. Yeah. Well, let's see. I do have some notes. Go for it. <clears throat> uh, I was very annoyed at the father throughout the movie, uh, which you're supposed to be, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Papa, you manipulative bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. Papa a metaphor for the devil or something? Jesus. Um, <laughs> at some point, I don't know. It's been a while since I watched this movie, but I apparently wrote down, okay, so Papa's just not getting any. I think that was like his explanation. Oh, yeah, no, pretty much. I I, I have some interesting <laughs> bits on Papa, but we'll get there. Um, I also noted down that I thought it was interesting how with these movies, these older ones especially, but I think new movies also kind of have this thing where they decide this character is sick and we're never going to explain what is actually wrong with them. Oh no, she fell ill. Yeah, she's just ill and can't walk, but we never get explained why. So it feels very strange to me that suddenly she is able to, because what kind of... There is reason for this. Uh-huh. Which is, and this is, I'm not reading this, I actually happen to know this fun fact. Uh-huh. So what used to happen back in the olden days in like the 19th century is that people would fall ill usually because their houses were full of asbestos and that's mm. bad for you. So mm-hmm. the men usually wouldn't have that much trouble with this because they were out at work all day and doing their thing. But the women who lived in the house would tend to fall ill seemingly out of nowhere. Oh. Which is also why taking your wife to the seaside for her to get better is usually how they did get better because then they were in a beach house with wind and no asbestos. That makes a lot of sense. In this movie, no, though. No, 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 but because stuff like this where they didn't know that 
it was the yeah. asbestos causing it, which I presume they still probably wouldn't have known early 1900s. Yeah. This idea of just, oh yeah, sometimes people just fell ill and and they would just randomly get better and we don't know why. Like That makes sense. That's why that, that idea prevails. Sense. Okay, I'll forgive them. I'll forgive them. <laughs> yeah, it's not that they're, you know, bad writers. They're just idiots. Um, Yeah, then I have... Uh, I don't remember who said this, but Ba says, I am a dying woman because mm-hmm. by any means it does look like she's gonna die. Yeah. And I don't know who said this to her, but they said, I refuse to believe it. I think it was actually the um, Frederick March character that she falls in love with. Could be. Where I'm like... Dude, she is dying, and you go, nah. Nah, I don't I think so. I think that's just like a conspiracy theory, though. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> Bro, maybe give her some comfort, but don't. Anyway, he was right, apparently, but I. I mm. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, I, I would also, if I was like, okay, I'm going to die, and one of my friends goes, I don't think so, I'd be like, well, no, 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 fuck you, yeah. I am. Um, I also wrote down that I did think that Ba and I, I forgot Frederick March's character's name, Browning. Yeah, ba and Browning do have a pretty romantic story. I like they their do. chemistry. It's good, but they, then again, you know, cute. the reason that this works is because it's based off a real story. These people were actually in love. Yeah, exactly. Like so, yeah. I even <laughs> I wrote down it's been three months before Ba confesses. This is new. It's been three. Mo- it has been more than one singular more than day two before days. they yeah, actually exactly. confess their love for each other. This I mean, is insane. To be fair, um, <laughs> well, okay, Fred. <laughs> no, no. To be fair, in real life, that was a bit different. No. <laughs> yeah, the correspondence between Robert and Elizabeth was well on the way before they ever met in person because he admired a collection that she put out in 1844 called uh-huh. Poems. And his first letter to her, he opens, I love your verses with all my heart, dear Miss Barrett. And a little later in that first letter, he goes, I do, as I say, love these books with all my heart, and I love you too. Damn. So this is actually a rare occasion of Hollywood going, maybe that's a bit fast. Damn, this is insane. It's crazy, right? Uh, In that way, I also thought it was pretty progressive that they actually let Ba go against her father herself and they didn't have Browning come in as a character as a man and be the one to fix it all oh yeah we're getting we're getting really progressive by this point yeah there's yeah. another movie that we're going to talk about later on that I thought was really good at being progressive as well so yeah very excited oh yeah for sure I know which one you mean You're right yeah <laughs> so I'm very excited I love being able to you know go through these movies and not go oh that was so racist or oh that was so mm. sexist and instead going oh, wow very good. Very look nice. at him go <laughs> yeah <laughs> But those were most of my notes. Nice. I thought it was a fine movie, but... It was fine. Mm, eh. I have some fun facts. I also have some mm, less fun facts. Oh. <laughs> One of my fun facts is the fact that uh, the start of the movie is set in 1845. But in the first scene, the song that's being sung wasn't written until 1869. Cannot believe that they oh, didn't catch that. that is rude, inaccurate, yeah. that... Mm, my immersion nah. destroyed Gone. and ruined. Yes. Uh, there's once again casting drama Ooh, yes so originally they wanted Catherine cornell who was in the original uh, stage play to be in the film adaptation but she had a mm-hmm. very intense loyalty to the theater so she turned down all offers from hollywood producers that she got mm-hmm. she had a very big conversation with irving thalberg because he really really wanted her in it and mm-hmm. she was briefly persuaded um, most notably because he offered to destroy the finished film completely, burn it, and send it up in smoke if she wasn't completely satisfied. Damn. And she briefly agreed to that in private, 
but she ended up being too reluctant and backing out regardless. Mm. And the only thing she ever did in a movie would be a brief cameo in a movie in 1945 somewhere called Stage Door Canteen. Okay. So she never actually made that jump. So instead, <clears throat> Irving Thalberg w- did what he was, you know, used to and cast his wife, Norma Shearer. Hey. hey! William Randolph Hearst, you know, the man from the newspapers, was very, mm. very upset that his mistress, Marion Davies, was not given the part. So he pulled Davies out of MGM and placed her with Warner Brothers for the remainder of her career and for over oh. a year refused to print any mention of the name Norma Shearer in any of his newspapers. Really petty, but also I get it that at some point you're getting a little bit annoyed by Norma Shearer being cast in every role. Oh, sure. It gets better, though, because in 1938, he attempted to get his Mistress Marion Davies cast again in the title role in Marie Antoinette, which also went to Norma Shearer. Yeah, oh. Yeah. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) They're having a a tough fucking go of it, really. beef. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> Norma's Norma's not making friends. <laughs> uh, one more fun fact is the fact that this was remade, literally word for word and scene for scene, by the same director in 1957 because they now had color, so they wanted to go do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also, it was remade in Hindi. That's cool. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty sick. Uh, of all movies, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know why this one, but no, me neither. But you know, sick. And then there's Mr. Charles Lafton. He. <laughs> Look, I'm sure there's nothing wrong with Charles Laughton. He's the guy who played Papa. Mm. But in the play, there is a little, uh, there, there's a disturbing little subplot about Papa having some incestuous designs on his daughter. Oh. Yes. Now, the public's reaction, you know, the studios were quite concerned about that Hayes Code, and also they decided to tone that down. But Charles Laughton famously remarked that the studios couldn't censor the gleam in his eye. No, mm-hmm. no, Lafton, please. I oh. know he's only three years no. older, and it's fine for him to be attracted to Norma Shearer. To Norma Shearer, yes. But but no, no. <laughs> just <laughs> no. I have one more fun fact, which is not important for the fact, but more so for the wording of it. Uh huh. Because they're talking about you know how the play had like three revivals, mm. and um, it goes flush a dog was in all three productions, as well as in this movie and its 1957 remake. But they were probably at least two different dogs. Probably. (laughs) Probably this dog didn't live from 1931 to 1957, no. No, I don't think so, sadly. It would be great if it was the same dog, but yeah. You had some quotes. I have some quotes. I think the first one, it's not even really a quote, it's like a conversation, short one, which I thought was pretty romantic, which is rare of me, so uh-huh. <laughs> enjoy, okay. I guess. Okay, I am, that's <laughs> wild. Let's see, it's Norma Shearer or Elizabeth going, I too am always making colossal attempts and always failing. And then Browning says, but is not one such failure worth a hundred small successes? Wow. That's it, that's good, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And then a lot. I have an. I think I have another one that's like romantic. This what is crazy. the fuck is going on with you? I I know, I know. Apparently, yeah, I just really this like just the dia- romantic dialogue. <laughs> maybe maybe you'd be already be married off if we were living in the like nineteenth century. Um, like, yeah, maybe I just was born in the wrong century for <laughs> just this. Born, <laughs> in the wrong, born in the wrong century. Um, 
I think this is Browning that says this to a shearer about her trying to get better from her sickness. But you're a fighter. You were born for victory and triumph. Yes, a fighter, but I'm sick of fighting alone. I need a comrade in arms to fight beside me. But not one already wounded in the battle, says Elizabeth, because she is sick. Mm -hmm. And he goes, wounded but not defeated, undaunted, unbroken. Wow. What finer comrade could a man ask for? Wow. I know. Crazy. But yeah, that was it. I don't know. I Apparently, good romantic dialogue in the, in the movie. Yeah. I did like their relationship quite a bit, but there's so much going on around it that doesn't matter. Again, that's because a lot of this is, you know, what actual human people said to each other. Mm. Um, we have 11 more movies. <sighs> okay, let's pop through it. Cleopatra <laughs> is a movie about Cleopatra. Cleopatra. It's about it's about Cleopatra. It's about her life from the Yo. moment that Ptolemy tries to kick her out to the point where she mm-hmm. dies. And yep. it is fucking fascinating because yeah. half of it is so accurate and then <laughs> I don't know what the fuck they did with the other half. <laughs> so I don't know Cleopatra's story that well, so I have no idea what was false and what wasn't i just took it as you know yeah sure this Um, is what happened actually so i'm a bit of an egypt buff i Mm -hmm. was very into egypt as a kid and i still quite like ancient egypt i think it's a very fascinating Mm -hmm. bit of our society and i like cleopatra a lot as a human well not as in like i'd like to hang out with her but i think she's a fascinating figure no you wouldn't i i like to hang out Uh, with cleopatra that's because you know cleopatra from this movie Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she was not a wonderful person. Uh, she was oh. also way ugly. People always try to make Cleopatra so fucking hot. Mm-hmm. A woman had a nose bigger than the rest of her face. Oh. I still think that's hot, but man, give me big nose Cleopatra. <laughs> like, come on, man. Don't give me a little Cleopatra with a little heart-shaped lipstick. Fuck out of here. Yeah, in this movie too, she looking good. She looking good, to be fair. So yeah, no, Cleopatra, it goes through her relationship with Caesar and then with Mark Antony, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all about the occupation of Egypt by the Roman legion. Yeah. Super fascinating, super cool. N- not entirely... Um, uh, what happened? What happened? Let's just start essentially with just Cleopatra and her life. A lot of this is reasonably accurate for the first bits, but specifically the ending really stood out to me because mm-hmm. the really niche stuff they got correct, like her testing out poisons on prisoners, mm-hmm. that's a very niche thing that they got yeah. right. That is something that was reported, pro- most likely pro-Octavian propaganda and maybe not entirely true, but it is something that we have reasonable historical evidence for. Yeah, exactly. However, she did not really care about Antony Uh, She had, by this point, three children, and she was just grooming her son to become the sole ruler of Egypt. She was like, this Mm. is what's going to happen. Antony can go fuck himself. Yeah, she was... In the movie, she's like that for a little bit, but she's definitely not too happy about having to kill him at some point. And then even then, that doesn't happen, and she does seem to care for sure. She, She also doesn't kill him in real life, but essentially what she does is... She threatens to burn herself and most of her treasure mm-hmm. if they don't... Like, essentially, she goes, my children should inherit Egypt and Antony should be exiled. Mm-hmm. And if they, if you guys don't do that, I'm going to burn myself and my treasure. They don't do that. 
and Antony, uh, Antony's naval fleet surrenders after a, a, a battle that doesn't go very well. And then his cavalry also surrenders. So what Cleopatra does is she hides herself in her tomb with her close attendants. And she sends a message to Antony going, I have killed myself. Ooh. So he goes, oh, fuck, and stabs himself in the stomach. Oh. <laughs> They bring they bring him to Cleopatra in her tomb, and she's like, "Surprise, I'm alive!" And he goes, "Oh fuck!" And then goes, "Well, I died honorably. You should trust my companion or Octavian's companion, Gaius Proculeius, over anyone else." However, Proculeius then infiltrates her tomb and detains her, de- denying her the ability to burn herself. Oh, yeah. Uh, she is allowed to bury Antony. Luckily, like embalm and, and bury him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Then the three. Yeah, in the movie. Uh... Yeah, no. not not quite. Uh, yeah. So now, in the, the, her three youngest children are captured. She tells Octavian bluntly, "I will not be led in a triumph." And then, in August, at age thirty nine, she took she took her life. Okay. It was most likely by snake, but it might have just been by needle. There's puncture wounds on her arm that could have been either needle pokes or snake bites. I hope it was snake bites because yeah. that it's one. It's cool, right? In, in, okay, listen. In real life, not good either. No, but way. it's fucking metal. But like in the movie, that was so sick. In yeah. the movie, basically, Anthony also kind of kills himself when he thinks that Cleopatra has betrayed her. But in this version, she does care about him, and she comes back, and she's like, "Bro, you stabbed yourself. I was just trying to." negotiate and save your life and he's like well i'm dying now so (laughs) a little bit too late and she ends up going to the main room that's about to be infiltrated and she gets a little snake and she lets it lets it bite her and yeah yeah for some reason she lets it bite her on the tits why why (laughs) why not no yeah no fair enough actually that's yeah (laughs) it is more metal to let it bite you on the tits and to let it bite you on the arm really but I think, so, the first part is more accurate, the Caesar yeah. part. They okay. even got some dialogue there that was very close to mm. when the seer goes, the Ides of March are come, and Caesar goes, or, no, or the, the pro- seer goes, the Ides of March, and Caesar goes, the Ides of March are come, and he go, <coughs> but not gone, which, that's exactly what, that's what happened. That was the conversation oh. they had. Cool. This actually refers to this seer was already telling him, like, hey, you're going to get stabbed on the Ides of March. And this was Caesar going, well, it's the Ides of March. I'm, I have not been stabbed. And this guy goes, yeah, the day's only just started. Only for him to get stabbed 10 minutes later, you know, so. Mm. It's interesting, though, this movie. Like, it, it brings up a conversation, I guess, of is it good to tell a story different than it happened? I'm usually not too much of a fan unless there is really a reason for it, right? And I feel yeah. like with this one, the movie could have been just as good if you had just followed Cleopatra's actual life story. Probably better, but the thing is that they obviously wanted this to be like a romance. Oh, yeah. Okay. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) this makes sense because... So the reason this movie came about was because the director's previous film, which starred the same main actress, was a huge flop. Oh. So they wanted the director to replicate the success of his film before that, and they told him, make another historical epic next with lots of sex in it. Uh Uh-huh. So... But then there wasn't that much sex in it because Hays Code. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so it was only just being implemented, so he was sort of flaunting mm. its restrictions, which is why there's the naked girl in the beginning holding the burner true, in the title. True, true. But it is the first movie I've seen that actually had a text before it with, um, like, oh, yeah, this movie 
is uh, approved in line by the, with all yeah. the Hays Code office. Yeah, you know, it was the first actual mention of the Hays Code, which I thought was cool, but it definitely is still a little iffy. Where with the relationship that Cleopatra has with Caesar in this movie, I was like, oh yeah, this is Hays Code because this seems very calm. They, I don't think I, they barely kiss, even though they're yep. in love. And then later, Anthony came along, and I was like, never mind. <laughs> never mind they're still pretty <laughs> hardcore <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's all a bit uh you know on the verge but talking about the main actress her name is i think oh, oh Cl- Cl- claudette colbert, Colbert. Cl- yeah yeah claudette colbert is going crazy this year she is in three of her 12 movies she is and the main actress in all of them yeah oh Bro. yeah she's fucking fantastic as because well. she's cool she's really cool I think Cleopatra out of the three was my favorite one of for hers. Like I just thought she was perfect for this kind of dominant woman type of role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she it works mm-hmm. for her. She has this low voice and she seems like she knows what she's doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, she was very, very good as Cleo. But I really also enjoyed her as the other two. True, true. I also did enjoy her as the other two. But I think Cleopatra was my favorite for her. Mm, that's fair yeah overall though this movie very yeah epic very epic the production value is off the charts yeah Yeah, production value is very high there's many extras there's this moment where anthony is actually before they fall in love and stuff he tries to capture her Mm -hmm. you know because caesar dead and he's like oh i'm gonna capture egypt or capture egypt you know what i mean Yeah, yeah and she is able to lead him to her ship and there she is able to kind of romance him by giving him all sorts of food and performances and that's the most epic scene in my opinion because you get all these like dancers and they all do super egypt things and i don't know it was just really cool yeah no absolutely it's it's absolutely crazy I wrote that it all feels very real. Like, it doesn't feel like they're on some studio set, which they probably were. But I, you know, just credits to the production design. Oh, yeah, no, it it all felt very, very real. Yeah. Yeah. Why are the clams of the sea presented by a woman coming from an actual fishing net? Oh, yeah, no, I think that was cool. I thought that was pretty... (laughs) It was cool. I was just, it took me by surprise. It's all about the drama, you know. When you have guests over, you get some women in a fishing net. You drop them on the floor and go, look, we've got clams. That's That's how you do it. Yeah, I also wrote after that, I love the extravagance. I was just uh, taken by surprise. Uh, Also, are we leaving the depression already or something? Where did the budget come from? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's fair. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I like this movie. It's definitely in the upper half. This is also in the uh, the upper half for me, but that's also because Mm. we're about to drop. Drop. (laughs) Uh, I've got some fun facts if you want. Okay, yeah, I would love to hear them. Well, first of all, um, uh, actually, the actually. the doors to Cleopatra's chambers have metal hinges, which wouldn't have You're existed. You're shitting me. <laughs> <laughs> this is so specific to her. <laughs> I know. But look, if I'm, I'm going to be dragging the previous movie for doing a song a year or three years too early, I got it. Yeah, gotta. <laughs> really? The, the metal in the door? Yeah, okay, you they know. wouldn't have had metal hinges back in Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> this just reminds me of that one Oppenheimer fact where actually the flags don't have the right amount of stars in that <laughs> scene. Yep. 
god damn but no it's good to know i i it is it is a fun fact just so you're aware also octavian would have at the time historically been 11 not yeah (laughs) so um but i understand aging him up for the uh for the for the movie i need to stop taking like i know movies aren't accurate but because I don't know the original stories, basically in my mind it's just like, okay, this is probably what this happened. Is, so what when happened. you don't yeah. correct, when I watch movies outside of this podcast and you're not there to correct me, I just go, okay, yeah, history, I know it now. <laughs> oh no, bad. <laughs> oh, that's a terrible idea. Yeah, I know. Well, director Cecil B. DeMille made a bunch of movies that depict ancient Egypt. Three of them, in fact. This is one of them, uh, but the others are just. Both of them are just the Ten Commandments. But one version from 1923 and one from 1956. Oh. But this is a very big director, right? What yeah. did he, like... D- what was the one movie? I, there, I think there's one that is... Oh, let me check. Particularly famous. Sunset Boulevard. Hmm. And The Greatest Show on Earth. And ah, the the okay. he was an executive producer on uh, The War of the Worlds. Oh, wait, there was an... Or- is that the same War of the Worlds as the Tom Cruise one? But then earlier... I I presume so. Uh, yes, <laughs> it's from nineteen fifty-three. An alien movie from the... okay, that's sick. Um, cool. So yeah, he's he's a pretty big name indeed. The seduction scene in which uh, Cleopatra shows Antony a scantily clad girl dancing on the back of the bull that was difficult because they did three takes, but in the first and the second one, the bull pooped on the floor. What? The the bull that she was dancing yeah. on took a poop oh. on the floor. So they had to redo it twice. Wait, what? What are you saying? The bull. Yeah. Oh, the bull pooped on the floor. (laughs) Jesus Christ. How did that not land? Good fun fact. Yup. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Mary Luz, niece of the screenwriter Anita Luz, Mm -hmm. wrote the director while he was casting saying that she wanted to become an actress so he interviewed her he cast her as one of the servants of Cleopatra uh, and Claudette who had casting approval thought that she was too young and too dark uh, and suggested replacing her with a blonde actress so they just Claudette. gave Claudette yeah kind Claudette. of fucked severely so they gave Mary a smaller role and made sure she appeared in every shot possible not the woman from Imitation of Life no, exactly right what Okay, well... <laughs> yep. I mean, we'll get there, but... uh, uh, We're also... This is only one of two films based on Cleopatra to win an Academy... Or uh, to receive, sorry. I, it doesn't say win. It just... I just bring. <laughs> to receive an Academy Award nomination for Best Picture. The other is going to be in 1963. So we're going to get to watch another one. Oh, okay. Sick. I'm down for that. Right? I, I like some Cleopatra. Um... The director was adamant that the extras playing Roman soldiers know how to fight ancient combat. So he <laughs> he grabbed a spear from an extra and charged it at one of the main actors without warning. And this actor, Wilcoxon, Henry Wilcoxon, instinctively fought back with his sword. And after two wild minutes of dueling, Wilcoxon cut off the tip of director DeMille's spear. To which a satisfied Demille told the actress that if they didn't want to fight like this, they could leave now, and half of them did. What? What? This is just like the Wings director. Literally. Jesus, they're so, they're so yeah. mental. Yeah. I love the commitment, but maybe don't go that far. Yeah, maybe just take a little, take a little breather there. 
Oh. It was shot. You brought a budget. It was shot for eight hundred forty-two thousand dollars in six weeks, which is equivalent now to seventeen and a half million dollars. Uh, which is, I mean, yeah, that that's pretty expensive in that time, I'd say. In that time, that's that's pretty, 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 pretty. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Two final facts. First of all, there was a movie made in 1917 on Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. And when they were in pre-production on this, Cecil asked for a screening of the original. But no prints could be found in LA, so they borrowed a copy from the Fox office. And after viewing it, they sent it back to the Fox storage facility, where we know there was a big fire. Fire! Yeah. Uh, and it was destroyed, which means that that screening in 1934 might have been the last time anyone saw that movie. However, Ooh. on September 14th, 2023, 42 Yo, that's, seconds... That's like three months ago. That's not even three months ago. That's that's literally last month. Yo. 42 seconds of the final act were procured from a 1920s toy film projector and and they're on youtube let's go that's so cool yeah it's pretty sick i i saw that i saw that like 2023 like that's a little over a month ago oh my god that's crazy so yeah there is still you know this stuff is Keep still looking, happening guys. It, it could still happen that we you know we might one day get to see the patriot 1929 yes <laughs> you know um, and then the last one is the fact that Claudette Colbert, when she first started having discussions uh, about playing the part of Cleopatra, she was like, didn't that woman die by snake bite? And he goes, yeah. And she goes, I am terrified of snakes. <sighs> so what they did, they put the death scene off as long as possible. And on the day that it had to be filmed, Cecil B. DeMille walked in with one of the largest snakes they had in the L.A. <laughs> as she sat in costume on her throne, he approached Colbert with it. And she was terrified. She pleaded with him to not come any nearer. Like, get that thing the fuck away from me. Whereupon he put the snake aside, pulled out uh, the asp, which is the snake that she was going to do it with, and went, how about we use that one instead? And then she was completely fine with it. Good tactics there. Good good psychology read there. (laughs) Yeah, this final snake was really tiny. Yeah, he, he had this fucking snake wrapped around his neck. It was like a boa constrictor or something. And he just went, uh, yeah, so cool. this is going to be the snake. And she was like, oh, dear fucking God, no. That's cool. So, yeah, I really appreciated that. Um, that's, pre- that's pretty much my fun facts on this one. All right, let's move on to the flirt then. Flirtation walk. Flirtation walk. Truly one of the movies. <laughs> Listen, this is okay, a romance uh, movie and a military movie. G- g- fuck out of here. It's the two genres that are, oh, so rare during these times. I, I yeah, <laughs> no, bad, bad. Problem is, my expectations were set way too high because Dick Powell and Ruby Keeler are back, who are the actors from 42nd Street. And I was like, oh, the actors from 42nd Street? Yeah. This is about to be crazy. And then, no. This is one of the few uh, with a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Do you agree? No. no. Like, okay, it wasn't bad. It wasn't yeah, bad, but fair. it wasn't good. Do you want to tell them what it's about? Yeah, sure. It's about... Let's see. Oh, yeah, it's about Dick. It's Dick Powell's character. It's about Dick? Dick. <laughs> wow, <Yeah>. maybe <laughs> we watch is. different movies. It is. No, yeah, he's the main character. And 
He is in the military. He is stationary. Is that how you say that? He is sta- stationed. He's stationed. He's stationed in stationary Hawaii. Stationary means he's not moving. <laughs> he is stationary in Hawaii. Okay. He's just standing there. <laughs> just never leaving. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Dick is stationed in Hawaii and he meets this woman called Kit. She is the daughter of a general and she is supposed to go to this kind of party thing. And he is supposed to drive her, but she's like, nah, I don't feel like doing that. Let's just discover Hawaii. And they go to, I don't know what the official name for it is, but they have like Hawaiian people sing and dance and they join that and they have a good time. And at some point they're just lying, staring at the stars and they are found and they're like, nah, this is not okay. There's especially this one guy, what's his name? The guy that is also in love with Kit? Uh, Biddle? Or Scrapper? Biddle. Biddle's like, this is not okay, not dealing with this, because he is also in love with Kit. Yeah. And basically, Dick is like, okay, I'm gonna desert. If this is not okay, then I'm not in the army anymore. I'm gonna, you know, marry this woman, because of mm-hmm. course, yeah, I've known her for an evening. Anyway, <laughs> exactly. She doesn't want that to happen, so she tells him, I don't like you, this meant nothing to me. So that he will continue to be in the army. And so he does. He decides to go higher up. So he has this whole kind of training arc that takes way too long. And long story short, they reunite. They fall in love again. There's a little bit of a struggle there with Bittle maybe marrying her. But, you know, obviously it's a Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. So the main characters end up together. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the movies. Uh, it, yeah. it just didn't do much for me. No, same. It's fine. And I still really like Ruby Keeler. Oh, yeah, I she's like great. her as but... a person, even though it was it was kind of weird seeing her so soon after 42nd Street, but already having grown that much. Like, it feels like she has already grown so much into oh, yeah. acting, which is also probably because in 42nd Street, her character is very naive and also starting out and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this movie, she is a lot more confident which is cool to see but i feel also as an actress she looks a lot more confident so that was cool absolutely but story-wise it's just yeah more military and romance that isn't really special in any way no yeah i agree it's all a bit eh. it's also a shame because i don't actually think we are going to get to see her again no ruby i'm gonna quickly double check that hang on yeah I also really like the chemistry between Keeler and Powell. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can definitely see them as a movie couple. Yeah, we are We are indeed not going to see her again. Oh, Ruby, that's so sad. I really like her. Yeah. But, yeah. but she was only active from, like, 1930 to 1938, and she did, like, one movie a year. Right. And then she did a few more, like, in the 70s and 80s. Mm. Or, like, literally two more. One in 1970, one in 1989. Well, if we're not going to see her anymore, I just like to say Ruby Keeler in the two movies I've seen her was just really cool. And yeah, I really, liked I really her. appreciated her as well. Well done, Ruby. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for the lovely few movies that we've seen you in. Do you have any notes? Because I just don't have that many fun facts either. I have some notes, but reading through them now, I'm like, they're not that interesting. Yeah, the fun facts. The thing is, it's just a bit meh, really. <laughs> just like the movie yeah so you know how the whole thing is supposed to sort of be set or not the whole thing but it's like supposed to be set in hawaii 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, not Hawaii. Not Hawaii. Okay. Most of it was shot at West Point, which is a military base. It, it's it, it's the United States Military Academy, which is known metonymically as West Point or sometimes just as Army. <laughs> so that's where they filmed a lot of stuff. They did film the Hawaiian number in a week, uh, which was the okay. largest set ever built at Warner Brothers. And the military wedding really? had over 400 dancers. So all of it was like massive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. The Hawaiian dance didn't look that big to me, though, in comparison. I think to it was. I think it was the seen. set that was really big, because yeah. they built, you know, all of Hawaii. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Instead of just going there. So the opening scene has combined naval and air forces attacking Hawaii. This movie came out seven years before Pearl Harbor. Uh, oh. So it's like you know, unfortunate. Um, <laughs> There's a bunch of clips in there as well of all types of artillery fire. One of the clips is from the disappearing 12-inch batteries that were on the coast of California. And those guns only fired a few rounds because every time they went off, they shattered windows and frightened all manner of animals. No! Yeah, these types of guns were usually used on large ships where the men were protected from the blast by the turret the guns were mounted in. Because even when used on large ships, no one can be on the deck when these go off. Because the concussion from the muzzle blast would destroy any crewman's internal organs. Oh. Yeah, so not not great, scary. these guns. And my final fun fact is that the duration, the runtime in minutes, is 85, 95, 97, or 100. <laughs> no one really knows. But uh, oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's one of them. It seems like it's we could check. We have the movie. It's here. Uh, yeah. But uh, well, we watched the '97 version one. But yep, I'm glad because I think even three more minutes, I would have been a bit sadder. Just gen. Just <laughs> I would have been a bit sad. <laughs> just a little bit sadder. Uh, so yeah, that's my fun facts. Yeah, I also uh, wait. Uh, do I have? No, I do not have screenshots for this one either. I mean, I I made one screenshot that I thought was funny because they had this shot of them driving in the car all the way at the beginning mm-hmm. when going to uh, their little date. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of a not too great of a shot, but it was funny because the camera was positioned like in front of them, but Ruby Killer wasn't really tall enough for that. Like you just, her head sticks out of, the car very weirdly with dick you still see his shoulders and it mm-hmm. makes sense kind of but she is much smaller than her, him so she just kind of sticks out with her neck and i thought it was yep. funny yeah um, yeah so what's the next boy the next boy is the gay divorcee the gay divorcee i so quite liked the about gay this divorcee. before yes yeah. when we were talking about the divorcee yeah we were like oh there's also a gay divorcee yeah it's this one <laughs> This is it. It's this one. It wasn't gay in the sense of homosexuals. No. Um, no. It, it was gay as in happy, which, yeah. fair enough, but... Fair enough. I mean, I kind on, of man. expected that. <laughs> yeah, but still. Yeah, it's our first Fred Astaire movie. It is. Which was cool, because I'd never really seen him in action. And boy can dance, man can dance. He can dance. Oh, sure as hell man can dance. But yeah, Gay Divorcee is about a guy called Guy. (laughs) He is, yep. Um, My guy. And Guy meets a woman and is immediately obsessed with her. Yes. Like, she is not really into him and does not want to give him her number. She's also married. So, 
she's also married and he's like but i like you a lot though so when he has no way of contacting her he just goes to search through the entire city he does know the city that she's in but he just <laughs> it, like this is a big city and he yep. just goes yeah i'll just walk on the street walk until i find her um, but he does he is in a car and then he sees her and they do a whole car chase and it's kind of creepy if someone if a guy that i had told that I do not like him, would follow me in his car to the woods. I'd be... F- yeah, oh, no, yeah. Fuck. I'd never call him again, but this woman is different, apparently. She's just, you know, she loves a man who dedicates. Apparently so. She does call him, but he's not there because his friend has taken him on a little vacation. On... I don't remember where it was, but it's like a resort kind of thing, I'd say. Like a big hotel. Isn't it in London? Is it in London? Maybe. I think, yeah, yeah. I think he meets her in, in London, okay. in England. So they go in to London, but it turns out they go on this trip because his friend Egbert is a lawyer and his case is actually the divorce of the woman. The woman yeah. is called Mimi, just to give you, to give you their names. Yeah. Um, Mimi wants to get divorced. Egbert's supposed yes. to make that happen. And Guy, yes. his friend, is now deeply besotted. Yeah. I think this movie is interesting enough to kind of tell you how it goes down from there a little oh, yeah. bit more explicitly. So basically, Mimi is trying to get divorced by being caught by a man or by someone, like caught with a man. Yeah, she wants her husband to catch her cheating. Exactly, because her husband doesn't want to divorce her and she does want to divorce. And in these times, you can't really do anything if the man doesn't approve it. Yeah. So this is the plan they kind of set up and... Egbert has arranged for this Italian guy. A professional <laughs> Italian cheater, yeah. Yes, and oh my god, this guy is amazing. He is the best. Oh. Rodolfo Tonetti. <laughs> Tonetti, he is so funny. He, he is has amazing. no clue what he's doing at any point, and it's, oh, he is a hilarious character. Yep. But yeah, there is a mix up because Egbert heard Guy say a line that he thought was really cool and he decides to make that the password for Mimi to know which guy she is supposed to quote-unquote cheat with. Yeah. Yeah, should should add, they're not supposed to actually cheat. They're supposed to just sort of chill no. in a hotel room and then get caught doing nothing. Exactly. But, you know. But because this line comes from Guy and Guy sees Mimi, at some point he send, ends up saying the line because this is just kind of this a is quote his line, that he yeah. uses. She ends up thinking that he is the guy <laughs> that she's supposed to, quote-unquote, cheat with. So they go to her room and she's like, oh, you suck. You're a professional cheater. And then eventually she finds out that he is, in fact, not a professional cheater, but a dancer. Yeah. And they end up kind of uh, falling in love anyway. And it's really cute. And there's a lot of fun stuff about them escaping the hotel room while Tonetti is still there because he's like, she needs to stay in the room because I need to do my job. But they find out a trick to leave and they dance and it's really cool. And they come back and eventually the husband does come. And he at first is like, okay, well, whatever. If you have another husband, I'm deciding to forgive you. I'm not divorcing you. But then they find out that he is also cheated and so she can now also fell for divorce and they're good and it's really cool. I liked it. Yeah, it's good. I really like this. It's also the first movie we've seen with Fred Astaire, but also I think it's the first one with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers as a duo and they ended up ranking number four among the biggest box office stars. Wow, oh really? I didn't know... Yeah, they ended up being a, a really strong 
couple. couple yeah as uh, a film couple yeah a stare for the rest of his life essentially whenever people would ask him like who was your favorite dancing partner he would say you know it, ginger was certainly the one you know the most effective partner oh. i ever had everyone knows oh shortly before his death he remarked all the girls i ever danced with thought they couldn't do it but of course they could they just always cried all except ginger ginger never cried no yeah i like them together even yeah. though i didn't like this i like the story in the movie but <laughs> i didn't like the, their characters much no yeah just because i like maybe i'm just talking to romans away here but as i said earlier he's a little too persistent. He is a bit, he's yeah. a little bit scary <laughs> but the, the thing is ginger rogers makes you believe it there's a quote here True. that i fully agree with it says here that Rogers was outstanding among Astaire's partners, not because she was superior to others as a dancer, but because, as a skilled or, uh, or intuitive actress, she was cagey enough to realize that acting did not stop when dancing began. And the reason so many mm. women have fantasized about dancing with Fred Astaire is that Ginger Rogers conveyed the impression that dancing with him is the most thrilling experience imaginable. And I agree. Yeah, she sold true, that shit. True. Well, some notes I took are that i was impressed that showing divorce is a legit option yeah was a thing in 1934 because i felt like they well, didn't really like that as much in 1934 but they showed it as like as a thing of well he cheated she cheated so you can divorce <laughs> it was a little bit censored first of okay. all considering the delicate nature of the subject great care should be taken in the scenes dealing with mimi's lingerie okay which is why she's wearing essentially a full-on dress because they also insisted that no actor or actress appear in only pajamas. <laughs> but the biggest thing is that this is based on a musical, and the musical was just called The Gay Divorce. And they okay. thought that that was too frivolous toward marriage. Okay. And they, they were like, okay, so essentially someone getting divorced can be happy, but the act of divorce itself cannot be happy. So that's why it was The Gay Divorcee. Like, she's allowed to be happy she's getting divorced, mm-hmm. but the divorce itself is still a heartbreaking fact was their intent. Okay. I, I can accept that. Yeah, they still flaunted it quite a bit, so I'm 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 chill. Yeah. It's it's all right. Um, it was a movie. I don't know if this was particularly the version we watched, or if this is the version that it just was originally. But there's a lot of little mistakes with. Um, actually, I don't. I think it was just how it was released because oh, yeah. it was mostly continuity it's things. It's laden stuff where with continuity errors. Yeah, there's millions. Like really annoying continuity errors as well, where it takes you out of the immersion completely yeah. because a guy just starts walking two times because yeah. you first show it in one shot and then they show it again in another shot. It's yep. a really weird edit. Crosses but, his arms okay. twice. Uh, Kate yeah. goes off and on and off and on. Uh, yeah. H- a hat just straight up vanishes. Yeah. Also, the sound wasn't amazing. There's a scene where you can hear a crew member cough. Yeah, like... I also uh, put down that the microphone does not like Fred Astaire's S. It does not. It's very... It's very... Th- it, it, yeah, yeah. Then I also thought Tonetti... Okay, Tonetti is just my favorite character in this movie, okay? The, the professional cheater. He has been told to say this line, but the line is a little bit complicated for him, so he just keeps repeating wrong versions of yep. it to everyone in the hotel, and every time it's slightly different, but it's always wrong, and I thought it was very funny. <laughs> it is very funny. To be fair, a, a very consistent thing with these movies is that a lot of them had some very funny lines in there. Yeah, yeah. I think the dialogues were quite good this year around. It's getting better. It's getting a little bit more realistic and also funny. Was this the one... I'm not sure where I wrote this down. Where at some point... 
the guy goes like, oh, when I was a little boy, I did this and this. And she goes, I don't care what you did as a little boy. And he goes, well, I did yeah. nothing as a little girl. So there goes my childhood. I'm pretty sure that was this one. Yeah, that was good. Really I, I good really like the. It was good comedy. It's not really a comedy movie, but the things they put in there is definitely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also have some quotes that I thought were good where Egbert, Guy's friend, goes, Oh, what is the matter with you? Are you still moping over that same girl? Why, the world is just full of girls. And Guy goes, I know, I know, but not like her. She's music. She's the buzzing of the bees in Clover. Uh, yep. <laughs> She's the rustle of the leaves in the trees. She's water lapping on the shore. And Egbert goes, yes, she sounds like a series of strange noises to me, <laughs> which was amazing. That's like my favorite line. Oh, it was so good. Then Egbert also tries to kind of interview Tonetti. He's already hired, but he goes, mm -hmm. is my client safe with you? And Tonetti goes, oh, signora, with me, strictly business. My slogan, your wife is safe with Tonetti. He prefers spaghetti. <laughs> Well, so the thing is, I really like that we like Tonetti so much because Mussolini was so offended by this portrayal <gasps> of an Italian that this movie was banned in Italy. Oh my god. I mean, <laughs> it was a little stereotypical, but I don't think it was. It didn't seem like it had ill attention. In oh no, I but I fully understand. It was very. It's very, you know. Babidi he has this accent and he yeah. is stupid as fuck. Yep. But I don't think that necessarily relates to him being Italian. I don't know. Yep. Um, and then finally I took a screenshot, which is not a quote. So I kind of just have to describe it. But at the end, when the husband is about to come in, Tonetti and Mimi have to pretend like they've been, you know, fucking around. And... <laughs> They do this kind of hug yeah, to pretend a, like they're yeah. hugging, and it's so relatable. It's the most awkward hug I've ever seen in my life, and they both just stare at the door. And it's it's such. I wish I could show you. I wish, I wish yep. I could, because it's it's so awkward, and I love it. It's the awkwardest sort of like prom night photo hug. Yeah, 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 yeah it yeah. is horrible. I mean, I have some fun facts if you want. Yeah, of course. Uh, so first of all. Actually, 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 they're in England, but they have a car chase and they're both driving on the right side of the road. Oh, and also when they're in a seaside hotel in England, uh, you can see a cactus outside the window. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? Those are actual pretty big mistakes, Those are pretty especially big the ones, driving right. one. Driving but, on the okay. right side of the road. He passes her on the left at one point, so th both of them are dead. Like, <laughs> we're done. Got them. Beyond that, this movie is uh, Fred Astaire's uh, sort of transition from stage to screen because this movie was based on Fred Astaire's last Broadway show. This is the... Oh! Yeah, he, he just did that again. Uh, in a movie and <laughs> most of the songs were cut or changed except Night and Day but okay. the plot remained mostly the same I mean I didn't think the songs were that special but seeing Fred Astaire dance is really impressive it's something right dude's yeah, really I, good yeah I really enjoyed that yeah highly agree they also um, they really 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 needed him to go do this movie with a new partner because he just split with his sister Adele um, so he needed a new female co-dancer, but he was very reluctant. However, producer Pandro S. Berman just 
insured his legs for over $300,000. So th- they needed to get some use out of Fred Astaire's legs. Fred Astaire's legs. <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a song called Don't Let It Bother You. At the beginning, there's a bugle call like the... Mm-hmm. developed just from them fucking around on set during rehearsals. It was like a little in-joke. And Cute. that was in pretty much every single one of their future films together. They Aww. kept that in-joke in there. So I love that. Yes, yeah, so this was the second movie with Ginger Rogers that he ever made. Um, so he wanted to establish himself as a solo dancer. Um, and he essentially said, I don't mind making another picture with Ginger, but as for this team idea, it's out. I've just managed to live down one partnership and I don't want to be bothered with any more. Clearly, mm-hmm. he... Very quickly walked back on that the moment he realized how highly praised their little uh, sort of team-up was. Yeah. And this was the first film to win an Academy Award for Best Original Song, The Continental. Oh, oh, I like I, I like The Continental. That was the one song that I actually remember. <laughs> well, you'll like it even more when you hear this fun fact, and this is my final fun fact, which is that The Continental lasts 17 and a half minutes, which is the... Whoa longest number ever in a musical until 1951, 17 years later, when at the end of An American in Paris, Gene Kelly did a 18 and a half minute ballet. Is it 17 minutes in the movie? Yep, 17 and a half minutes. I, oh, I remember it dragging a little bit, but I didn't remember it being 17 minutes. Yep. The Damn. longest musical number in all of Fred and Ginger's films together. That's crazy. I I, I remembered it being long, but not that long. Yeah. Well, that that's that makes it good, I guess. Yeah, it was uh, highly impressive. Seventeen and a half minutes. Goddamn. But all right, let's go on to the next movie. Let's go on to the next one, which is uh, here comes the navy. Here comes the navy. I like this more than I thought I would. Same. That's not to say I I liked it a lot though. Exactly same. (laughs) Like I. It wasn't amazing, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I immediately put down, like, oh, I'm worried I'm not going to like this one's message. I'm worried I'm just not liking this because it's going to be another military story yeah. and it's going to be another love story, probably. It was not that bad. It was a little bit different, at least. But yeah. mm. My favorite thing about this is... Uh, so, essentially, it's about this guy called Chesty. Mm-hmm. And he he has this this nemesis, this navy officer who stole his uh, who stole his girlfriend. Very rude, by the way. They were dancing Very together, and they seem to like each other. And this navy officer comes in and is like, mm, "Stole your bitch, goodbye." Such a <laughs> so he decides to just join the navy so he can punch yeah. this guy in the face. But that doesn't work out entirely as planned because it turns out you're not allowed to punch your superior officers in the Navy. Shock. Shocker. So essentially what it is, is this guy, he's sort of forced to live out his Navy days while not wanting to be there and actually hating the Navy. And also trying to date this prick's sister who he (laughs) accidentally runs into and is like, wow, she's kind of cute. And then it's his sister and he's like, oh, this is double great, actually. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of drama there. They don't... Oh, they do end up together, but they end up together after a big, big split because she's mm-hmm. like, no, you should be like all in on the army and the navy. You should have respect for the military. And he's like, actually, fuck that. Yeah. Which I really appreciate about this movie is the fact that he hates the army from the beginning. And mm-hmm. this whole time, you know, he does these heroic things. He gets a medal of honor. People consistently are like, wow, you're so good for the army and the army is amazing. And he goes, no, fuck all of this. I The army sucks ass. Yeah. Um, which I really appreciate that they kept him <laughs> kept him there. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I have a few specific things to say about the movie, which, first of all, his friend, who is called Wilbur, mm-hmm. but his nickname is Droopy. His <sighs> Droopy. Droopy, yeah. What a he guy. He is so great. He, he is, is fantastic. such a good friend. Half of the movie, he's like, oh, please give me money because my mother's teeth need to be replaced. Yep. And Chesty gives him money, but then he needs to lend the money back to Chesty because he keeps pulling these expensive tricks yep. where he, need, uh, you know, he needs a boat to go to the coast and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. Droopy is incredibly cute. He is super supportive. Droopy is we best stand boy. Droopy. Best boy. Yeah. Even at some point, he gives, like, a boy with his face printed on it when Chesty leaves the Navy. And he's, like, so sad about it. (laughs) What I also really liked, whenever Chesty had to get money back, he had to find an excuse for why his mom didn't need it that much. And he started by going, oh, just, you know, she can eat oatmeal instead of meat. That's fine. And then at some point, it's like, well, she's in choir. She needs to sing. And Chesty just goes, well, she can hum. She can just go, hmm, 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 hmm. And they hum together for a bit. And we were like, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. We can do that. Yeah, there is some blackface in there. It's not super long, but, you know, yeah, not good. It's not great. To be fair, he is also portrayed for being an asshole for doing it. True, true. But still not fantastic. So my biggest problem with this movie was the last 15 minutes because it felt very weirdly paced to me. Yep. The whole movie takes place on the ship and on the boat. And at some point he leaves. It almost seems like that is the end of it. Um, he doesn't want to be with the woman anymore and he doesn't want to be friends with the asshole and I kind of like that. I'm like, okay, yep. yeah, this woman is trying to dictate your life even though you clearly don't like what you're doing and this asshole has been an asshole the whole time, so I get that. I, of course, I was kind of expecting him to end up with the woman anyway because that's just how these movies go. That's how these go. movies go, But yeah. the way we get there, it's just 15 minutes of, okay, he is now suddenly part of the air uh what's it called airship military whatever air sh- the yeah, yeah the air force and there's this huge stunt where they go up into the air and for some reason the navy captain is there and he's hanging on a rope and chesty goes down and saves him by you know jumping and having a parachute and he ends up marrying the girl and it's just very very fast suddenly the f- last 15 minutes yeah. make zero sense to me in the context of the movie <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really fucking fast suddenly. So yeah, here comes the Navy. Here comes the Navy. Any facts for uh, the I Navy? I have some fun facts for Here Comes the Navy. I say fun. No. Oh. Very tragic, yeah. actually. It, it almost always goes wrong with the military movies, I feel like. Yeah, it's very, very specifically... Uh, it's it's just fucked. Um, well, so first of all, let's start with this only received one Oscar nomination, which is the Best Picture nomination. Oh, okay. Nothing else. Also, at the beginning, when Chesty goes, oh, I paid $40 for a deposit on a tuxedo rental, that would be equivalent to about $790. Oh. So. Don't do that, Chesty. Don't do that, Chesty. Oh, fuck, I forgot. Um, uh, actually. Actually. Uh, actually. Whenever they uses uh, use time in dispatches or when they're talking about going to watch the ship, they go from eight to twelve or at ten a.m. But they would use military time, so it would actually be ten hundred hours or twenty hundred hours or zero hundred hours. Yeah, but Tiho, that's not relatable. When it's a realist thing, it ruined my immersion. I have a lot of fun facts here about specifically the types of aircrafts and stuff used, but it's just it's no, just not that no. fascinating. What is fascinating is that Gloria Stewart, who plays Dot, would 
many, many years later, gain fame as Old Rose in Titanic. Oh! Yes! Oh! oh. Yeah! Wait, that was the first girl. Or uh, no, 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 that Dot was the is sister. Dorothy, the sister. Oh, really? I yeah. love that! Yeah, what's less great is that that's a movie about a ship shrinking, and the ship that she's on in this <gasps> ship, the USS Arizona, uh, sunk at Pearl Harbor. Oh. If I had a nickel for every time we mentioned Pearl Harbor this episode, I'd have two nickels. Two. Which <laughs> not a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. Hey. Also, the airship that they used crashed into the Pacific Ocean the year after filming. So, oh. yeah, it's just tragedy bad after luck. tragedy with this. If you ships on this movie, mm. yeah, just bad, just bad. Um, that's pretty much my fun facts here. It's all, it's all a bit sad. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I have one more note from this. There's a quote in there, but I think I feel like you might have you might have this quote. It's the phone number Ooh. one. Uh no, the quote I have is the 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 one at the beginning. So the beef between the two main guys, the navy officer and Chesty, starts when they have Chesty basically calls him out, not liking the navy very much, and the insult that he uses is the only hole I see here is the one in your kisser. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty graphic. That's yeah, pretty good. <laughs> I really like Chesty generally. There was one where they were like, oh, take off your hat. And he was like, what for? And they go, for Uncle Sam. And he was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do it for him. Yeah. Okay. We ready to keep going? Six we more We ready movies. to keep going to the next movie. Well, the next one will be a fucking quick one. House of Rothschild. No! Okay, okay, listen, listen. I have beef with this movie. <laughs> yeah, I figured <laughs> No, no, no. Specifically, I have beef with George Arliss. I saw his name. I was like, yep, no. Yeah, same. I saw this back. dude in the fucking... Well, you won't be surprised to hear that his wife was also in it again. Yeah. As I, his yeah, wife. Yeah, yeah, as his wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, because of the last time. Um, just yep. for people that are not aware, I think it was episode two or three that we... Disraeli. ...went into George Arliss where he played Disraeli. Yeah, And Disraeli. Uh, we did not enjoy Disraeli. And I also did not enjoy The House of Rothschild. Yeah, uh, we also, I think, mentioned him really quickly a few episodes later because he played Hamilton in Hamilton. Oh, yeah. That's cool. But, oh, my God. The House of Rothschild is about... <sighs> it's about the family of Rothschild where the father is the start of the movie starts with him evading taxes which is I think supposed to be a kind of heartbreaking little scene about him not being able to pay well he is clearly able to pay taxes and he is trying to trick the tax man into thinking that he is not as rich so that he won't have to pay as much and the reason they he gives for this is you know he's being discriminated against because he's yeah. jewish which is fucked up but because the whole scene is very much portrayed as a i am so fucking rich and i'm just not gonna pay more than i it, it doesn't feel as genuine like nope. obviously very big problem but the way that this movie portrayed it it's just makes him look like an asshole yep but this guy dies, the guy played by George Arliss. So I was like, oh my God, we're free. But no, no. because he also plays, plays the grown-up son. son. Yeah. <laughs> yep. The grown-up son, who is called Nathan, and his brothers each have a bank, basically, mm -hmm. in a different city in Europe, and they are very powerful. Can I just add, by the way, very, very, very fucking convenient, mm -hmm. because it's it's a German family, it's the, the Rothschilds, and... He gets to play the son that goes to London. The British guy yeah. gets to play the London-based son. 
bastard. Yeah, I'm just gonna keep this summary a little bit short because I don't think the intricacies are. Oh no, it's not important. Consistently with our list films. Yeah, it's just Nathan trying to make more money so that they can be stable, and he is facing some anti-Semitism, which is fucked up. But I oh don't yeah, think severely. The movie makes it very. I don't know. Yeah, I think no. they could have done a better job at also. They could have done a way that. better job. Yeah. Also, the whole family apparently is incestuous because at some point, I think it was Nathan's daughter that wants to marry someone that is not Jewish, and he has a problem with that. And at some point, he mentions, "I mean, usually we only marry another Rothschild." And I'm like, "Bro, bro, sorry, excuse me. Can we track back for a second? You usually yep. only marry other Rothschilds, George? Yes, yes, yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want to get into the fun facts because there's a couple? Yeah, yo. So, first off, um, actually, the gathering of all of the sons at um, Mayer's deathbed never happened. In reality, only two of his sons were there because the others were scattered across Europe. Mm. I get why they would change it. I think that is one of the changes that is... Oh, yeah, it makes sense, like, narratively. Makes sense for uh, the movie, narratively. But actually... Actually, so we're going to have a little... Have some, have some, have some fun facts first, and then we'll go into the yeah, slightly okay. less fun. Uh, first of all, the brief closing scene was one of the first things shot in three strip Technicolor. Oh yeah, okay, that is really cool. It was yeah. the first movie, um, apparently in general, but also that we've seen that has color in it. The final scene has a few minutes of it, and it, that that was really really cool. To be fair, I was yeah, I was it was it was pretty that. sick. It was this and the Cat and the Fiddle, which is a, a musical mm. film from this year, but we didn't see that cool. because why the fuck would we, you know? So yeah, yeah, that was really cool, and it's also the only saving grace this movie has. Um, I mean, I do <laughs> having seen all these black and white movies, it does feel like whoa color <laughs> yeah and always also i do not like george arliss but it is cool to see him in yeah, color it, because yeah, we no. know this guy we know this guy yeah yeah yeah. now we know what color his hair is and stuff you know <laughs> yep gray very gray there's there's some like small little little errors in here i suppose which is the fact that nathan rothschild was not the eldest son but the third one but obviously you know that's not good enough for mr arliss who wants the big the big bucks yeah. um I don't like it. There's a lot of creative liberties here. Amschel Rothschild did not die until 1812 during the later stages of the Napoleonic Wars, uh, which in the movies he did not get to see like any of. Nathan would have only been three years old in 1780. The relationship between Captain Fitzroy and Julie Rothschild is fictional because Julie never existed. Oh my god. Yeah. The Captain Fitzroy, who did become his son-in-law, marrying to Hannah, his second daughter, uh, was born in 1807, so by the time of Waterloo, would have been a child. And also in the 18th century, Frankfurt was a free city. It did not belong to Prussia until late 1800s. And even okay, then, so... Prussian Count Ledhans, fictional, did not exist. So the timeline is Fucked messed up in severely. on all accounts. Okay, yeah. 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 Um... Another fun fact is that Helena Bonham Carter is actually a descendant of Rothschild. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. It's completely if unrelated to the movie. If there ever is a remake, we want her in it. We want her in it, yeah. I have one more fun fact that I'm going to say for the end. The other fun facts are not uh, super fun. This was okay. a, a particular passion project for George Arliss. 
he asked Warner Brothers to buy the rights to the play in which the film was based while he was under their contract. And then they bought the play but didn't make the film. And then when he left Warner Brothers, he convinced Daryl Zanuck from 20th Century to purchase the play from them. And then they eventually made this movie. Now, this movie was made very shortly after Hitler came to power in Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why there's the character with the anti-Semite stands. Right, yeah. Instead of banning this movie, Josef Goebbels just had it re-edited to play up an anti-Jewish viewpoint. No. Yeah, so it's not great. Oh, that's bad. Because even though the movie is a little bit ingenuine about it, in the sense that the acting is not very good, and, you know, yeah. all, I think the story could have been fleshed out more when it comes to the anti-Semitism parts, it does give a message of, you know, this is bad. Yeah. The issue is, so it was produced by Zanuck, who was not Jewish, and obviously George Arliss, also not Jewish, but mm, consistently yeah, plays Jewish characters like Shylock and Disraeli. So it was all a bit, you know, they faced some behind-the-scenes opposition from Jewish concerns such as the Anti-Defamation League, mm-hmm. but it passed the Hayes office because they found no cause for objection. Um, they even okay. suggested it to be shown to a representative of the German government, to which Zanuck oh. said, <laughs> let's not. <laughs> it was endorsed in one major Jewish journal in December 1933 called the B'nai B'rith Messenger. So okay. that's that's something. I mean, yeah, the, the message they're trying to give out is good. So Yeah, it, it was... Um, for that. It got some positive reviews because of this, because it made no official reference to then current events, but there were some similarities, obviously, and the columnist of Time magazine considered it shrewdly timed to touch obliquely on current Jew-baiting in Germany. It was publicly endorsed by the National Council of Jewish M- Women, so it was um, a lot more acceptable. Mm. Two scenes from it, though without permission of the copyright holders, I must add, uh, were used in the German anti-Semitic propaganda film The Eternal Jew, or Der Ewige Jude. Ooh. Yeah. Which is... Oof. Um, oof. Is really oof. all I have to say about that. Yeah. It's just a really heavy topic, and I wish it would have... Gotten the weight it deserves. Hit me more, you yeah. know? Because the movie itself is, I think, also because the actors aren't Jewish, and also, I don't know, it it, it is the main theme of the movie, but it also doesn't feel like it is. You know, no, it is the main theme of the movie, but Arliss is a bit too focused on making a star vehicle for himself rather than yeah, yeah, very much so. Loretta Young was in this though. We're gonna be seeing a lot more of her. She's a pretty big one. Beyond that, that's kind of it. That's yeah, kind of I. It. Okay, I don't think it is as bad as Disraeli was. Oh no! Or but that's you I know. don't even think it's gonna be my least favorite movie this year. But we'll get to that. Oh, okay. But not great. Not would not Very recommend. Not great, um, no. I have two quotes. Mm-hmm. So Nathan is kind of. He doesn't like spending money because he's trying to become rich yeah and a driver drives him somewhere and he says even miss julie pays me more than this and julie is nathan's son and nathan goes well she has a very rich father and i haven't son (laughs) oh uh daughter (laughs) just checking julie's daughter and then i have one this is not a quote this is just okay wait i need to look this up um there it is. Okay, so I had found some subtitles online, uh-huh. 
and they weren't very accurate but i still put them on because sometimes it helps me kind of hear what they're saying yeah, and at yeah. least some of the words are right then i'm just i need subtitles because otherwise i uh can't hear half of the words saying yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, text-to-speech auditory processing issues you know something like that and i think what they said was you can't fox this man yeah then no the, my translation was right you can fuck this man <laughs> um i was like mm, i don't think that's what they no, said no <laughs> no I, I doubt that I, I doubt that yeah i had a great time with these subtitles made it a little bit more amusing <laughs> oh that's amazing so yeah final fun fact which is that daryl f zanuck the producer produ- producer produ- producer man his the producer man his, his sheepdog is in the movie Oh, okay, that's cute. So, 10 out of 10. I would be... I, I would try to get my dog in there if I was a Same, producer. dude. All right, let's move on from this tragedy. Imitation of life. Okay, okay. Great stuff. Grand fucking stuff. What we were talking about earlier, as in um, the one that is progressive. Yeah. Progressive as shit as for this fuck. time. It's about Bia and her daughter, Jessie. And they are having a bit of a tough time, you know, Bia's husband is dead. Um, so she's a single single mother. And then there's a black housekeeper called Delilah. And she fucked up on reading an advertisement and entered Bia's house by mistake. Mm-hmm. She's looking for work. So stuff happens with Jesse. Bia gets distracted. And Delilah just goes, well, you know, this woman's struggling. I've missed my interview regardless. Fuck it. I'll make her some breakfast. And Bia goes, wow, okay, you're you're pretty good. I can't hire you, though, because I don't have money. And Delilah goes, well, you know, I'm fine with you not necessarily paying me. Just let me live with you because I also have a kid and we kind of don't have a house. And she goes, okay, you know what? That... That's that's cool. You do the, you know, they do a sort of lesbian wedding thing where one of them is the work wife and one of them is the housewife. Mm-hmm. Except they're not lesbians, but I mean they are a little bit lesbians. I always try to make these movies a bit gayer than they really are. They're um, they're they're not close to being lesbians, but I'll let you live in your fantasy. Just, you know, a, a man can dream <laughs> of lesbians. Um, <laughs> um. Um. Anyway, Delilah makes these pancakes, and they're super fucking good. And so, Bia, business-minded woman that she is, goes, yo, we're going to start a pancake restaurant. And her and Delilah just make a fucking pancake empire. Like, these women get rich as fuck. But there's an issue, which is that Delilah's daughter, Piola... Piola. Piola is obviously the daughter of a black woman, but her father was very, very light-skinned. So yeah, she so she's she white passes. passing. Yeah, she passes as white. And... This comes to a head first when Jesse, Bia's daughter, calls Piola black. And Piola's really upset about this when they're like, I don't know, this is when they're eight or whatever. Yeah, very young. And this throughout Piola's life becomes a consistent issue where people think she's white and she passes as white. And then the moment it comes out that she's black, such as, you know, whenever her mom mm-hmm. comes to drop something off or talks to her, she's just immediately shunned by the community and she absolutely hates this and the movie essentially becomes this struggle of you know it's it's this it, like Bia and Jesse are these really good characters and they have their own plot line but the real core of the movie for me is Delilah who is this black woman who sort of made it which is incredibly impressive for the yeah. time and this daughter who wants nothing to do with her because she doesn't want to be black 
And yeah, it's really interesting. And yeah, I I wouldn't say we're entirely there. Like oh, there far are from it. It's 1934. Okay, you know, you know? Lila is still kind of a servant character, but she does not have a Hollywood black accent, which was already crazy. Yeah, and she is successful, and she has personality. Like, and yeah. she is not just the character that just she does die in the end, but it is in a very genuine way because yeah. we've actually come to care about her because she's actually a main character that has. Thoughts. She does consistently throughout this whole thing remain like she keeps doing the housework and stuff, but not because oh she's black and she's supposed to. Very yeah. consistently, Bia goes, "Hey, you can you can stop this. You can get your own house yeah. if you want. You can just like live your life." And she goes, "Nah, man, I'm having a good time here. Yeah, I'm just gonna keep massaging your feet and shit. Good." Watching this movie, I was also like, I don't know if this entirely. I'm obviously not the authority to speak on how <laughs> how good of a portrayal mm-hmm. this is. But it definitely brings up a very interesting conversation that I didn't think people were ready to have back in 1934. Yeah. Really interesting and very... I was shocked. (laughs) I was shocked. It's crazy. It's also... I also put down... I think this is the first movie on the podcast that probably passes the Bechdel test. I don't think there has been a movie so far. I actually also don't think so. That actually had two women that talked about something other than a man. Yeah. (laughs) There is a man at some point, but he's not important really (laughs) no i also really do like his storyline because he essentially so what happens is um bia wants to like she goes dating again with this man and her daughter also falls in love with this man and i very much thought for a second that they were going to go for the oh he's going for the younger girl but he very consistently goes no that is a child i am 37 she is like 19 that's a kid i'm not interested i i do not care i'm so sorry that she's in love with me i'm i'm not i know you yeah gross. and even later on it shocked me again because bia ends up going to him yeah and says i cannot be with you i cannot marry you because my daughter is in love with you and he says yeah maybe but this is just a fling like she's a child this will pass really quickly and she says maybe but i can't do that because every time she's gonna come home she's gonna see you and she's gonna remember this yeah she's gonna remember that i as a mother put my own happiness above hers and exactly so she is like i i cannot be with you i'm choosing my daughter and what they the main couple doesn't even end up together because she chooses her daughter this movie is fucking phenomenal yeah it's it's great it's incredible yeah I do have to mention that it is mostly incredible for its progressiveness and the story itself is like it, it's fine but it it, it is like yeah. mostly interesting because of the conversations it brings up but I wouldn't say it's it wouldn't have been that high up on my list if it wasn't for that you know what I mean mm, no yeah that I agree with but then again I feel like a movie is as strong as its themes, really, and it true, does that really true. well. Uh, on top of the fact that it does the racial stuff quite well, it presents these single women as successful. They're fine yeah. without men. They're doing their thing. They're running. Like, it's crazy. It, it's, yep. it's. I think there's also, and this was a really small thing, but still I noticed that there's this scene where there's a customer in their pancake shop and he's Asian and he is not stereotypical no he's just a guy like it's just an extra yeah still that's crazy for this time i've not seen that before yeah so the actress who plays piola is actually mulatto she's actually a a black woman who passes as white oh 
which, oh my god. Yeah, a lot of remakes of the movie tended to cast white women in the roles. Not this one. They they actually, which is, wow. Yeah, that's impressive. I also went to IMDb and read through some reviews for this one specifically because I felt like, because I'm not really someone that has the authority to speak yeah. over something no, like this, I wanted yeah, yeah. to see what other people said about it. And I think most of them agreed that this is actually the best version of this movie. Not surprised. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reading this here as well, where Delilah, in dying and in death, especially with the long processional portraying a very dignified African-American community, is treated with great respect. Yeah. Which is... It was also really cool. I guess I could have seen her death coming pretty early because of the whole movie. Oh, of course, yeah. She's like, I don't need anything. I just want a nice funeral. I don't know why that didn't trigger a red flag for me, but um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she gets the nice funeral. Yeah, She gets a really nice funeral. (laughs) Yeah. Freddie, Freddie Washington, who plays um, Piola, she apparently received a great deal of mail from young black people thanking her for having expressed their intimate concerns and contradictions so well. Oh. It's crazy how... For 1934. Yeah, but it's crazy that this existed as a movie and then also got nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. I think this probably will be an exception rather than the rule because I can't imagine it will continue to be like this. Almost certainly not, but... but... It exists. They also changed it from the novel because in the novel, Piola doesn't come back. She leaves and doesn't come back and they changed uh. that to, to give the black people a happy ending. No. Which is like, wah. I think it also makes sense. It makes way more sense. I don't know. When, when she comes back, she's kind of confronted with... Yeah, with the consequences of her actions. Her yeah, the consequences of her actions and also her identity more, I think, because Absolutely. You know, the whole time she's like, Oh, you know, I don't want to be black and yeah. then when her mother dies, she kind of sees another side of it, I think. For Piola, this whole thing is a journey of self discovery and, and coming to terms mm-hmm. with who she is. Yeah. A short mention, Bia is played by Claudette Colbert again. This is one of the movies yeah. she's in. Yeah, it's essentially, so this movie, obviously, you know, the Hayes Code didn't like it much. No. There's some reviews here as well that are, uh, these are really positive reviews, but I cannot read them because if I read the wording used in these reviews, we will get cancelled. Oh. So yeah, the Hayes Code, uh, they had some trouble receiving approval from the censors because uh, there's some miscegenation in the story, which is, you know, again, the um, what's the exact wording that they use here? Any relations or marriage between people who are considered to be members of different races, which obviously, mm-hmm. Piola is this young woman considered black, but with sufficient white industry to, to pass. And yet, the Hays Code did not like that at all, yeah, but they... I'd expect that. They pushed through. Impressive. Yeah, they did have to cut a scene where a young black man was nearly lynched for approaching a white woman uh, who he okay. believed had invited his attention. But yeah, mostly they managed to pull this shit through somehow. Damn. So let's see. Freddie Washington, who played Piola, was less than a year younger than Louise Beavers, who played Delilah. What? Oh. Yep. Okay. But she was, you know, a lot thinner, so that enabled them to sort of pass. Louise Beavers, by the way, we've seen before. We have? We have. Louise Beavers, who played Delilah, was in... Hold the phone. Holding it. Hold the phone. Holding it. 42nd Street. She was? Mm Mm-hmm. That was her. 
She was a uh, pansy, Dorothy's maid. Oh. And she was also in. She was in. She done him wrong. She was Pearl. Oh no wonder we didn't remember her. But yeah. yeah, yeah. No wonder because she done him wrong was shit. But yeah. She also had the uh, black accent, the Hollywood yep. black accent there. So I guess that might have been part of why I didn't recognize her. That here. makes sense. Yeah. Freddie uh, Washington herself was also, like uh, Piola, was also an avid civil rights activist. So this, for cool. her, was very much a very interesting sort of character study. Cool. Yeah. This was a universal film, but Claudette Colbert would get up two hours before shooting, meet Dorothy Ponadel, who was her preferred makeup artist, at the Paramount mm. studio uh, to prepare her for filming. Damn. So, dedication. Love that. Louise Beavers, again, slightly racist here. She's not among the top build cast, even though she is the second main character. Bro. And also, yeah. despite garnering universal praise for her performance, she was overlooked by voting members of the Academy. She wasn't even written in. Okay. I mean, I would expect that, but that doesn't make it any less wrong. No. Because yeah. damn. Yeah. She should have won that, probably. She should have. She was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it also didn't get Hayes Code approval until they were already two weeks into shooting. <laughs> Marilyn Nolden and Rochelle Hudson play the younger and older Jesse. And then next year, we're going to watch a movie where they also play a younger and older version <laughs> of the same character uh, in cute. Les Miserables. They play the younger and older Cosette. Oh, Les Miserables. Yeah, I'm very excited for that one. One little funky fact, which is the final fact for this movie, is the fact that toddler jesse who was only in like the first scene was played mm-hmm. by a child actress called baby jane no. but they changed her name halfway through filming to juanita quigley which is <laughs> you know a bit upsetting like the actress's name the actress's name yes oh okay the managers and family and studios hoped against hope that this child would have the same success as shirley temple you know the most popular child entertainer of the depression uh-huh. era maybe ever but like most of Temple's would-be rivals, she just never really caught on with audiences and just right. gave up acting. In early adulthood, she turned her back on Hollywood, took vows to become a nun, and worked educating orphan children. <laughs> so. I love that. Well done, Juanita. All right, well, let's say goodbye. Let's say goodbye to Imitation of Life. Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh. Um, actually... Actually. At some point, Stephen, when telling Bea about what it's like on his boat, he says, um, in ten days, you could be drifting in a tropic sea where we'd guide past mysterious little islands, black and silent, and on the shore breeze that would come to you, the perfume of warm lands, hyacinth and jasmine. But actually, hyacinths originally came from Turkey, part of the Middle East, not the tropics of the okay, South Pacific. Okay, okay, we're moving on, we're moving on, we're... <laughs> Moving on to the next movie. I've got to keep it going, man. (laughs) What is the next movie? I have no track of... The next one is uh, It Happened One Night. Oh, wait. Oh, the other Claudette Colbert one? Yes, It Happened One Night, our third Claudette Colbert movie. Yeah, okay. Well, first of all, directed by Frank Capra, Capra. director of Lady for a Day, which we saw last month. Indeed. And, again, It's a Wonderful Life, which we're going to get to eventually. But, like, this is a big dude. Big boy. 
Yeah, it's a it's a big boy and it's a good movie in my It's opinion. a really good movie. I really like this one. I did like it quite a bit as well. It's about Ellie. Helen. Helen? Ellen. Ellen, Ellen Ellie Ellen. Andrews. Yes. Ellen. It's about Ellen who tries to escape from her father because she wants to go to New York, which is quite far away. It's quite a journey to get there. Yeah. She's at a boat and she jumps off it and she swims to the shore. <laughs> yep. And in New York, her husband. fiancé is waiting for her. Her husband? No, she's uh, they, not married. They're, they're already married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they are already married. She's, okay, she's so eloped, um, but they want to have the marriage annulled. Yeah. So she wants to be with this man and her father is like, no. And she's like, oh, I'm going to go there. But uh, they're part of quite... A wealthy and well-known family so she kind of needs to go undercover a little bit also mm-hmm. because all his bodyguards are after her oh yeah everyone's looking for this woman there's a hundred thousand dollar reward on her neck or something yeah. she is pretty smart but not really she doesn't really know the ways of life when it comes to traveling in buses and whatnot and mm-hmm. she comes across peter who is played by clark gable who would later go on to starring gone with the wind which is really cool um, she meets Peter, who is a newsman, and he he kind of likes her at first, but then he finds out that she's kind of a brat or all kind of a just you know yeah, <laughs> um, and claims that he doesn't really like her after that anymore. But being a journalist, he wants to have the story of this famous Ellen person making her way to New York, and so he decides to take her with him and to do that journey together, so that he has a story. And slowly they fall in love and she ends up, you know, falling in love with him and being not in love with her husband so much anymore. Yeah. And then, you know, in the end, there's some misunderstanding where uh, Peter thought, you know, I'm going to marry this woman, but he was back too late and she thought, oh, he doesn't like me anymore. Yeah, there's a whole serendipity thing at the end where they just keep missing each other and it's... Yeah. But they end up together. And, it's uh, really you good. know, the journey is just really cool to watch. And I liked seeing them together. I love a road yeah. movie. I love road trip stories. Mm-hmm. This And this is a really good one. Yeah, I agree. I They do I, the thing where they're nearly at the destination, but one of them doesn't want... Okay, so... <laughs> I'm going to say something. You're not going to like me, but it is true. Uh, this is Shrek. A man has to deliver a woman to a place in time for her wedding, but she, during the journey, falls in love with the guy delivering her, and at the end, she goes through with the wedding, but he has to run in and stop it in time, and she decides to go with the guy. Oh, okay. It's Shrek. Wait, so they aren't married because the wedding is happening at the end. Yeah, but it's like, it's an, I think it's an official like wedding ceremony, because they, they oh. are married, but they do want to do a ceremony still, Okay. but then they have to get it annulled. Yeah. So okay, um, well. So sorry. Sure, it is Shrek. Sure, <laughs> sure. You know what? Sure. It's good. I really like it. There's the bit at the end as well. It's the same thing as Shrek, where they're nearly there and they're like, "We can make it," and the woman goes, "No, we we need to stay the night now because I don't, you know, we can't do it just yet." And in the morning, the guy goes off to do his thing on his own and she believes that he doesn't care about her so she just goes to do the thing it's it's shrek okay sure sure it's shrek <laughs> um gonna go to my notes now go for it um, what kind of a weird edit they show her starting to walk away from one angle then in the next angle she does it all over again it's mm. a little bit like uh the frank astaire film where 
there's some weird cuts where they do show things twice. I don't know what was going on in the edit this year. Uh, there are several movies that have weird cuts. Yeah, that I agree with. The editing's not fantastic. One of Peter's ways to protect Ellen, I thought was pretty funny, but also pretty fucked up. <laughs> because uh-huh. they are in a bus, and at this point there is a picture of Ellen in the newspaper with oh, yeah. you know, a $10,000 reward. And one guy recognizes her, and Peter's like, oh no, we can't have this. So he takes him to the woods, and this yep. guy thinks that Peter also already knows who she is and was taking... It was going to get the reward. Going to get the reward. And he's like, oh, we can split it. You know, yeah, I recognize her as well, but I I don't mind splitting it with you. You know, I won't take her. And Peter goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm part of the mafia and we're going to get a much higher reward than 10,000. Yeah, we we kidnapped her. Yeah. We kidnapped her and we're going to, and he gets into this super dark thing until he scares this guy off and then he has to, he makes him leave through the woods instead of going back to the bus. (laughs) Yep. It's fantastic. Yeah, that was really good. Highly appreciated. I thought it was really annoying that Peter wasn't on time at the end to go back, you know. I love how, you know, you're invested in a romance movie. Imagine. Yeah, imagine. The one final thing that I noted down that I thought was really cute was throughout the whole movie, they have sheets between their beds as they're sleeping in these different places. And they call it the walls of Jericho. And then at the very end, they ask the people of the little house that they're sleeping in if they can get some sheets maybe because they want to build the house of Jericho and they mm-hmm. also ask for a trumpet I think so that they can they can do the cavalry charge yeah yeah officially let the walls of Jericho fall down and they don't have to you know have a sheet between them anymore when they sleep and it's very, yeah it's cute it's adorable I really like it fun fact actually they never kiss oh I guess they don't which is for a romantic comedy unusual which actually happens over four nights. So it, it does. Whoa. Yeah, title kind of fucked. Honestly. Actually. Well, I do have an um, actually. Um, actually. <laughs> on the phone, when the dad is calling the fiance or the son, he goes, Hello, my would be ex son in law. But until the marriage is officially annulled, he is actually just still his son in law, not his ex son in law. Get out of here. <laughs> That's just. Ugh. It's just for clarity in the movie. Come on. <laughs> also, um, while Peter and Ellie are on their honeymoon, that's when they send the annulment. So that means she married Peter while still being married to Wesley, which means she's actually a bigamist. Okay. <laughs> well, that kind of ruins the romance of it. Uh, <laughs> that kind of ruins the moment. Yep. This mostly got just like positive reviews across the board but there was one in the new yorker which panned it as pretty much nonsense and quite dreary which in capra's autobiography he recalled that sophisticated critics had dismissed the film which is just that he was really upset by that one review mm. it holds a 98 percent based on 108 reviews which is very Hi. impressive yeah so 
no one was really excited about making this movie except no. Frank Capra. Neither Gable nor Colbert were the first choice to play their lead roles. The female lead was turned down by about four or five people, including Loretta Young and Miriam Hopkins. Betty Davis wanted it, but she was under contract with a different studio and they mm. refused to lend her out. Uh, Robert Montgomery turned down the male lead and there was a few others that turned it down. When Colbert was suggested for the female lead, she initially turned it down as well because her first film had been directed by Capra and it was such a disaster that neither wanted to work with the other again. Oh. But she did agree to the role eventually, only if her salary was doubled to $50,000 and her scenes were completed in four weeks so that she could go on vacation. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Ooh bit sad when your main actress doesn't want to do it straight up uh gable the male lead was uh <laughs> according to hollywood legend mgm his own studio didn't have a project ready for him and they were paying his salary of two thousand per week whether he worked or not so as a punishment for refusing a role at mgm they lent him out to columbia pictures <laughs> Charged Columbia two thousand five hundred per week, so they paid the two thousand of his salary and netted MGM five hundred per week while he was gone. <laughs> they didn't have a project lined up for him anyway, so they were just making money off this dude. Oh my god! So he was a reluctant participant in this movie as well. It began in a very tense atmosphere because they were both very dissatisfied with the quality of the script. Capra understood that, luckily, so he let a screenwriter called Robert Riskin rewrite the whole thing. Colbert continued to show her displeasure. She initially balked at the hitchhiking scene where she had to pull up her skirt, Mm -hmm. complaining that it was unladylike. But when they brought in a chorus girl as a body double, uh, she grew outraged and told Frank Capra, Get her out of here! I'll do it! That's not my leg! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I I like that. I like that. Yeah, Capra claimed that she had uh, many little tantrums like that, motivated by her antipathy toward me. However, she was Mm. wonderful in the part. Yeah, they did both did a great job. I especially liked Clark Gable, actually. I really liked Clark Gable. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I really, really liked this movie. Which doesn't surprise me because I also liked him in Gone with the Wind, which is that's that's gonna be like the first movie in this podcast that I'd actually already seen. (laughs) Yeah. But <laughs> another really fun one here. <laughs> just, this is just oh, so God. so genuinely stupid. <laughs> After in this movie, Clark Gable takes off his shirt, and we can see he's not wearing a vest. Uh, sales of vests were said to have fallen drastically. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's good. That's good. Yep. So that's fucking wild. Carol Lombard turned down the role of Ellie. Ironically, though, she would later in life marry Clark Gable. So. <laughs> the $100,000 that King Wesley accepts not to contest the annulment would be about uh, somewhere between one and a half and $32 million dollars now so uh, you know i would also probably uh, accept a divorce for that kind of money yeah like um claudette and clark actually did not reteam until six years later on boomtown which was a movie that was not nearly as successful as this one yeah i mean it's name alone oh yeah no yeah it's oof um <laughs> the last surviving credited cast member was Claudette Colbert who died in 1996 at the age of 92. 
And up until her death, she was dumbfounded at its continued popularity and reputation as a classic masterpiece of American cinema decades later for a film that neither she nor Clark Gable wanted anything to do with. (laughs) It is quite funny. It is fucking hilarious. Oh, well, bad news. uh, You know who fucking loved this movie? Not Hitler. It was Hitler. No. Can this man stop? Not not just Hitler. You know who also loved this movie? No. Josef Stalin. Oh. So oh. yeah, that's that's a uh, that's a shame. Director Frank Capra actually came up with the idea about the walls of Jericho because Claudette Colbert refused to undress in front of the camera. A somewhat puzzling acting choice given her nude milk bath scene in two previous movies that she was in. Oh. I mean, gotta stick to what you believe in. Gotta stick to your beliefs, absolutely. The success of this movie essentially pulled Columbia Pictures out of Poverty Row. Oh, good. Uh, Apparently, the manner in which Peter Warren was eating carrots and talking quickly at the same time was one of the primary inspirations for Bugs Bunny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would also look at that and think, "Mm." Yep. Rabbit and Fritz Ferlang has said, "Yeah, no, that's that's what Bugs Bunny was based on." That's amazing. Yeah, so the the thing with the with the vest and the undershirt is like he had trouble removing his undershirt, so they abandoned it altogether because he couldn't keep the flow going. And then it became cool to not wear one, so some underwear factors actually tried to sue Columbia Studios for it. I love this. It's good, right? The last one is a, a little quote from Frank Capra in an interview with Richard Schickel where he says, we made the picture really quickly, four weeks. We stumbled through it, we laughed our way through it, and this goes to show you how much luck and timing and being in the right place at the right time means in show business. How sometimes no preparation is all is better than all the preparation in the world. And sometimes you need great preparation, but you can never outguess this thing called creativity. It happens in the strangest places and under the strangest of circumstances. I didn't care much for the picture. It turned out to be it happened one night. That's amazing. It's so good. Oh, that's that's so inspirational. I hate saying things are inspirational because it always sounds cringe, but it, it does is. always sound cringe, right? Yeah. But uh Yeah, no, it's a really inspirational quote. Frank Capra turns out n- knew what he was doing. Crazy. Yeah, kind of mad. So yeah, that's it happened one night. That's it happened one night, which moves us to uh one night of love. Oh. Yep. One out of love. About Mary, who wants to be an opera singer. In Milan. She has a pretty good throat on her. She wants to... (laughs) She has a pretty good throat on her. (laughs) Jesus, are you a 97-year-old man? Well, we, I mean, I would, I, you know, we're reviewing 19. That's fair, actually. No, no, I, uh, yeah, I take that back. So I, <laughs> yep, continue. Just a few, uh, a few months and I'll be saying that's well all the time. Kissing <laughs> um, <laughs> people on the mouth as goodbye. Exactly. <laughs> Mary has a pretty good throat on her, but she does not quite have her technique down. But when she is singing in a cafe, she gets noticed by Julio, who is a famous instructor for opera singers. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm going to help you become a famous opera singer. And yeah. they start this thing where he also says we can absolutely not be in a relationship because I've done that. I've been there and I'm not mashing work and 
private again. Yeah. But, you know, obviously they kind of fall in love, but there's a lot of drama when there's a lot of drama for us to get there. Um, he has his ex that comes around and bothers him because she wants to be famous as well and he, she wants his help in that and when he doesn't give it she kind of tricks Mary into thinking that they're still a thing. Um, yeah. Mary yeah, becomes pretty famous, actually really famous, but kind of doesn't really like the life anymore of being an opera singer because she is being so strictly managed by Julio. The fact, yeah. the thing that I dislike the most about this movie is its relationship because compared to all these others, their relationship sucks ass. He's yeah. super, super strict with her and like yeah, he's super manages everything she does, and I do not understand what she sees in him. Yeah, the other way around as well. There's just no chemistry between the actors either. No, mm. absolutely fucking I not. She sings very well, I'm sure. I'm just personally not really into opera, so if you do like opera, I'm sure it's great, but for me... Well, you know, on top of that, um, her recording of the Unbeldi aria did not go smoothly because she had trouble hitting the high notes. Oh. To the point where apparently she flew into a rage, blamed the orchestra, and then they asked the music director what the problem was, and he said, there's nothing wrong with the orchestra. These are the original orchestrations. So they essentially oh. told her, go back to the stage or you're paying for the entire orchestra's day salary. So she returned and recorded mm. it. But yeah, she was struggling with it. So it also, even if you're into opera, is apparently not... Um, Probably not that good. Okay. Not ideal. Yeah. I thought this movie... I really liked its dialogue again because, mm -hmm. again, it's not a comedy, but it has a lot of funny lines A lot lines of funny lines, yeah. That was my favorite part. But other than that, in the beginning, I saw there was a zoom in and I know that sounds like it's nothing, but to me, yeah. I was like, whoa, it's something yeah, it's different. Cool. Yeah, it was cool. This year has not been the greatest cinematography-wise. It's nope. just been a lot of theater-based things, mm -hmm. I think, because it's all like stills and yeah. just boring shots. Mm. But the zoom-in was also kind of the only thing that they did that was that special, I think. so. <laughs> yeah, and I also love the shots of... Because I think they actually filmed this in Italy, or at least bits of it. Bits of it, because we saw the Milan... Seeing the... Uh, yeah, the Milan cathedral thing. Cathedral, yeah. That we saw in real life. I was like, whoa! Yeah. We've been there! We were there! We were there. Summer. It was yeah. really cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I should, I should probably note that this movie is mostly in here for the technical mm. stuff. It was noted for its innovative use of vertical cut recording, which is essentially where a stylus cuts a vertical groove into a phonograph record rather than side to side. Mm -hmm. And they uh, received an Academy Scientific and Technical Award and a Best Score Award. Yeah, so it's mostly here for the, for the music and the technicality of the whole thing, which makes sense. I think the thing that I was most invested in or the person I was most invested in this movie was Bill, who is in love with Mary from the beginning. They're, I think, childhood friends or something. They've known each other for a while. And Bill is in love with Mary and he keeps being used throughout this whole movie. Every time it's mostly Mary just going back and forth between, oh, I'm going to marry you. I'm not actually going to marry you. I'm just saying that to make Julio jealous. But she does this several times and this poor man keeps getting his feelings messed with and I feel bad for him because he's really he's really nice. Yeah, yeah, this is absolutely true. It's um. There's also this point where she pretends to lose her voice because Julio is going out with his ex mm. and she doesn't want that to happen because she realizes she's in love with him. He realizes pretty quickly that this is the case, that this is why she is quote-unquote lost her voice because the doctors are saying there's nothing wrong with her throat. Yeah. So his way of exposing her is just 
stabbing her so she would scream. I'm like, bro, there you could have had a mature conversation. You could have could have done anything else than could have. But why stab. would you? Like it's not it's not an actual knife, you know. But still, it, it was like some kind of needle or something that you just jabbed into it. What, what the fuck? Yep. It's yep. just a really toxic relationship because he is so controlling which makes sense for a mentor in a way but still i think he's way too controlling even for a mentor but you know but no it's some kind of weird power dynamic i agree also doesn't have any chemistry do not like it much yeah i had higher expectations honestly i like musicals most of the time but i yeah this just didn't click with me the moment it started and Mm. yeah it never really did anything to pull that back up i kind of like the start but i think I also wrote this down where the will they won't they drama just got dragged out for so long. Yeah, it's too it long. Got really annoying from it's the moment long. on where they kind of realize that they like each other. It's just so on and off and on and off and yeah. not in a fun way. No, I agree. I fully agree. I have one quote from all the way in the beginning where mm-hmm. Mary has just moved to Italy yeah. And people are singing outside and she's singing along. That was also my favorite song, which is why I had higher expectations for the music. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It actually was, but I really liked the song where everyone is singing outside and we have, you know, a little bit of Italian music, lots of instruments. And she starts singing along and her house boss, I guess, uh-huh. says, for Pete's sake, close the window. Mary says, I thought you said you wanted some fresh air. And the house boss goes, suffocations of pleasure compared to that noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. So yeah, fun facts. This uh, was based on an unpublished and unproduced play. It was called Don't Fall in Love. Maybe she shouldn't have. Maybe that would have saved the movie, honestly. <laughs> uh, it, I always thought that it was a recent thing, that so many things were adaptations. But no, no it's always everything been the case. is based on a play or a book. I mean, it makes sense, because if you're going to film like a, a play, you might as well just make a movie and make it more suited to I the... get it. I just thought it was a more recent thing, but no, that is a lie. It's always been a thing. It's just people are noticing more now. But Yeah. It's a bit tragic. It was designed to be a star vehicle for Grace Moore, who is, you know, the star. Mm-hmm. And it, it became a major hit with Moore attributed to most of its success. So Columbia was very excited. She got an Oscar nomination and everything. So then MGM tried to lure her to their side with the offer of a starring role alongside Marie Chevalier. Oh. Yes. Maurice. However, however, Chevalier had never conceded top billing to anyone else. And he was very put out by the fact that they did that without any input from him to the extent where the film was never made and Maurice quit Hollywood for good. Yo, goodbye, Maurice Chevalier. It says quit Hollywood for good. He didn't. He's in a few more movies, but not like... It's not the same. Well, okay, he he quit Hollywood. Yeah. We just went back to France and made French movies mostly, but... Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, for for those who didn't listen to earlier episodes, he's been around for a while. We saw, I think, three movies with him yeah. in it, so that's we, we love crazy. Him. We love Maurice. Yeah. I love Maurice, at least. I don't, I don't know. You, I, I, you, he freaks you out a little bit sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, none of her movies after that would ever match the success of this one. She stopped making films in 1939 and eight years later died in a plane crash. Oh, that is sad. So I mean, it's all a bit tragic. I don't know if she was meant to be an actress. I... I did not like did, her also that didn't much. Think she was that good. But no. um, that is a sad story. Yeah. 
So one little uplifting fact to send us off, which is that ubiquitous actor Gino Corrado is in a bar scene playing a soldier. This is one of the very few films in which he is in a restaurant scene but does not play a waiter. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Uh, And one more fact. It's not a fun fact. It's a very sad fact. Oh. This movie made me very sad because in the end, the opera she does is Carmen. Mm -hmm. And there was this girl in a bar who introduced herself to me as Carmen, like the opera, and then flirted with me and then ghosted me. And... Oh, I, I, you know, suddenly had to confront <laughs> all of these, these very painful feelings. Oh, so that's why you don't like this movie. That's why I don't like I this understand. movie. Carmen, Carmen, if you're out there. Carmen, if you're hearing this. Carmen, please. Carmen, please. Carmen, 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 text me back. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to The Thin Man, which I fucking loved. Oh, really? Yes, this was probably my favorite one. Oh. Listen, I love a good detective movie. And this was a good detective movie. It was fine. It was a good detective movie. God damn it. I also like good detective movies, but this was not one that stood out to me. It had a dog. It did have a dog. <laughs> is and also, that your... So did it... Okay, okay. Okay, so essentially it's about this private detective who's retired and he gets dragged in by the daughter of a wealthy man who has disappeared on a business trip. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an investigation into what happened and where he is. And I'm, I don't want to spoil it because it's a detective movie, so the mystery is all of the pleasure for Fair it. Fair enough. And it's really good. There's also not really any points to spoiling who did it because it's too many characters to yeah. Talk there's like about. A, there's a million yeah. That's I think that's the main problem I had with it because there were like maybe slightly too many. I mean I understand that there have to be a bunch of suspicions, but there were so many, and some that's of fair. them, some of the characters that were suspected of maybe being the murderer had only had screen time for maybe five minutes, so I barely remembered who they were, and then they were like, maybe you did it, and I'm like, who are you? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. But it was by no means bad. I did enjoy it quite a bit. I, I've just seen better detective movies, I think. So yeah, what I really liked about this one is that the detective's wife is very much like part of the whole thing she's very much yeah. like okay we're gonna figure this shit out like she's the one who pushes him back into it where she's like yeah wait i have a you quote should, about you, you that fig- you gotta figure i'm 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 interested i want to you know know what happens and she's trying to help him along the way and he's like he's letting her in on the stuff and it's really good i like the dynamic a lot yeah she is the one that's basically like you should take this case she says that sounds like an interesting case why don't you take it and um he go i haven't time I'm too busy seeing you don't lose the money I married you for. (laughs) (laughs) Yup. Well, there are two characters that I really like. There's a lot of characters, so there's enough to like. But um, one of them is is just an extra, I think. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's this guy at a party... And he is just constantly crying, but in a very relatable way, where he's being asked, having a good time, and he goes, swell, but he's like crying about it. And then later he tries to get to the phone to call his mother because he's basically homesick. It's a New Year's party and he's there and he just wants to see his mom. And he's about to call her when someone like takes the phone from him and he's like crying about it again. It's It's very funny. The dialogue generally in this is so good. Yeah, good. Like for sure. One of my absolute favorites was when the wife comes up to him and goes, I read you were shot five times in the tabloids. And he goes, it's not true. He didn't come anywhere near my tabloids. 
I also like the one guy is a bit of a nerd and he constantly he's the yes. oh, I'm actually, I'm actually guy, guy himself <laughs> um, and he goes I think it settles the whole question you see my father was a sexagenarian yeah. and <laughs> yeah. the journalists go he was because they want to write something about this murder and so he's the son he goes yes he admitted it and then the journalist says a sexagenarian we can't put that in the paper the son goes yeah. why not you know how they are sex <laughs> just yep. say he was 60 years old is that what that means <laughs> yep it's really good i also really liked at some point the detective is held by gunpoint by some guy that intrudes and <laughs> and he is like i have some questions and the detective says all right shoot wait i mean <laughs> i mean start talking yeah <laughs> there's also this son again he is not really good with social mm. cues. You know, you're wrong about all your children being murderers. I studied the Mendelian law of inheritance and their experiments with sweet peas. According to their findings, and they're pretty conclusive, only one out of four of your children will be a murderer. <laughs> yep. He goes, just have oh. three. Oh, wait. No, the, f- the first one could be the bad one. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also put down that the dog is fucking cute. The dog is amazing. Skippy the haze dog. Code. We have a haze code thing going on where Nick and his wife are in separate beds. Yes, but it is said that they were the first on-screen Hollywood couple for whom matrimony did not signal the end of sex, romance, and adventure. And I do think that's true. They're very, like, in love with each other. Very clearly. Very explicitly. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Can I talk about the couple real quick? Because you can talk about the couple. Besides, sorry, just really quickly to mention the dog Skippy, uh, who played Asta, was he was subsequently cast in two more movies called The Aww. Awful Truth and Bringing Up Baby. So this dog went Good for dog. it. Yeah. So this movie was based on a novel by Dashiell Hammett, and the novel already like it drew on his experiences as a Pinkerton detective and he based Nick and Nora's banter on his own Rocky on again off again relationship with the playwright. And then when MGM got the screen rights, they got the screenplay to be written by Albert Hackett and Francis Goodrich, who had also been married for three years. So the director encouraged them to use Hammett's writing as a basis only and to just concentrate on working those witty exchanges for Nick and Nora in there. So it was all very much written by people used to being in one of these relationships. No, I love that. Yeah, it's great. The director also convinced MGM executives to let Powell and Lloyd portray the lead characters despite their concerns that Powell was too old and straight-laced and that Loy had become typecast in these like femme fatale roles. Uh, and I'm very glad that he pushed for that because they had amazing chemistry. Yeah, they were good together. Yeah. Th- uh, the reason a lot of this worked is because it was all very natural, like completely, in the sense that uh, for Powell's first scene, for instance, Van Dyke told him just take the cocktail shaker, go to the bar, walk through the scene while they're checking lights and sound. Uh, so he did it, threw in some lines, etc. And then Van Dyke said, that's it, good. And they just shot it without him knowing <laughs> so that he would be just as relaxed as possible. And he did that a lot. He didn't really do cover shots if he felt it was right in the first take because he felt that actors lose their fire if they'd have to do something over and over. <laughs> so a lot of that was just like their spontaneity and you know their easy banter between takes which made it into the movie. Like so much stuff like that. 
That's sick. I like that. Yeah, it's great stuff. Powell also loved working with Loy because she was very natural and professional. He stated, when we did a scene together, we forgot about technique, camera angles, and microphones. We weren't acting. We were just two people in perfect harmony. Mirna, unless, unlike some actresses who think only of themselves, has the happy faculty of being able to listen while the other fellow says his lines. She has the give and takes of acting that brings out the best. No. Fantastic. Great yeah. stuff. Yeah. Also, the scene of him shooting stuff off the tree was added after he just started shooting shit. The art department was picking, was putting up, and they were like, "Yeah, oh, that's rude." <laughs> yeah. Um, I have no quotes. I'm also I I I don't really have any anything else to add. Well, I have a lot to add. Ooh. Yeah, Skippy. They were not allowed to interact with him. They felt it would break his concentration. He also once oh. bit Loy during filming. Oh. Yeah, Skippy was a bit of an asshole. No. <laughs> Apparently the biggest problem during shooting was the climactic dinner party because there were so many lines to learn and he could barely yeah. decipher like the unraveling. Uh, and it was the one scene where they had to do several retakes. And that brought up an entirely new problem, which is that the script called for oysters to be served and take after take, that same plate of oysters was out under the hot lights and Lloyd recalled that they began to putrefy. By the time we Ooh. finished that scene, nobody ever wanted to see another oyster. <laughs> Ooh, ew. Yup. I did like the dinner party, though. That is my favorite way of finding out who it is, you know? Invite yeah. all of the suspects. And it's the latent gonna... thing of being like... It was you! It's great. Yeah. yeah. They were advised that some dialogue was censorable, such as the he didn't come anywhere near my tabloids line and uh, Mirna Loy saying, what's that man doing in my drawers? <laughs> drawers is another word for pants. <gasps> yep. Whoa, yeah. Scandalous. It's very scandalous. <laughs> when uh, uh, there's a lieutenant who asks him if he's ever heard of the Sullivan Act, uh, referring to the gun control law in New York State, mm-hmm. However, Nora responds, it's all right, we're married, which references another Sullivan Act, the Mann Act from 1910, the federal law that prohibits transporting women for immoral purpose across state lines. Oh. A law that is still in effect. Hmm. Yep, still not allowed to to transport women for immoral purpose. Good. Which means you're not allowed to take a woman across state lines if you're not married to fuck her. Oh, never mind. That's not good. Not good. No, very not good. Oh, I thought it was like... No. Trafficking. Oh. No. Sad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the ways MGM tried to prevent the director from casting Myrna Loy was that he could only have her if she was finished in three weeks for her next movie. And he said, yeah, cool. We'll do. And he did <laughs> it. <laughs> Good. So the issue is um, with this that uh, the thin man refers to the guy they're looking for. He's referred to as, you know, I'm looking for yeah. a thin man with white hair. But people are dumb, and they thought that the thin man referred to Nick, the detective. So this movie has five sequels, which I might I actually did watch. See that. Yeah, I did see that it had sequels, and it's also called The Thin... They're called Summit, After like... the Thin Man, Another yeah. Thin Man, Shadow of the Thin Man, The Thin Man Goes Home, and Song of the Thin Man. Even though he was never the thin he man. He was never the thin man. And I think... That might be. Oh no, Myrna Loy did her own stunts. The scene where oh, she trips cool. and falls while carrying the dog, she did that herself. Cool. Go, girly. This is uh, included on Roger Ebert's great movies list. Okay. 
oh wait that's cool i like yeah. I didn't, and I, roger ebert is yeah you know, he's he's that guy he's that guy yeah I, roger ebert is just that guy when every time i go to look up a movie on wikipedia he will always be there in the review he's section. always he there. will always he's be always there. there and even though i don't always agree with him i just love him for being there yep it's also posthumously listed as one of Akira Kurosawa's 100 favorite films. Oh. Okay. So. Okay. Alright, that was pretty sick. Oh, and of course the final scene where they end up hooking up and Asta covers his eyes. That's just this side of Scandalous. That the Haze yeah. Code, they would have been upset about that. Makes sense. Now, I have two more small ones, I th- think. One of them is that, um, actually... At Christmas Eve, when Dorothy tells Nick that her father disappeared three months earlier, in the opening of the movie, it depicts the day in New York that her father disappeared. It's snowing, and it wouldn't be snowing in New York in late September. That's too early. Also, when Mimi Jurgensen dials the operator, the operator connects her to who she wants to call almost instantly, and that's very unrealistic for the time period. So... Um, oh yeah, no, I assume you wanted the three minutes of silence in the movie with one of them waiting yeah, for the Yeah, that would have been a lot better, actually, because that wouldn't have ruined my immersion. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then my final fun fact, the only reason I'm reading this because of the wording, which is, um, as Clyde Winant, the guy who they're looking for, walks down the street early in the film, his shadow appears long and thin. Stop this. Almost We're as if on. he's some sort of thin man. We're moving on. Yes, let's. Viva Villa. Yeah, one more movie. One more movie. I didn't like that. That we have actually seen. This is the one that I thought was worse. Wallace than... Beery. What an asshole. Wallace <laughs> Beery is back uh, for those. We have a history with Wallace. Show, we have a bit of a problem with this man. He, he at first he had a very great start. We liked story, him so much the first time we came across him. I yeah, was we loved such him. a cunt. We loved him. He has betrayed us greatly. He's betrayed us by greatly. just being a general asshole. And this time around, he is playing a character that is not white, but he is. Yeah, he's playing a Mexican guy. Oh, and I, oh. I struggled so much to get through this one. I, I don't I even. Don't... I don't want to spend too much time on this. It's so not worth it. It is so not worth it. It tries to tell the story of Pancho, who is yeah. a guy that actually existed, and his fight for Mexico. Yeah, and Ta-da. it's just a long story of him being portrayed as a pretty dumb guy but he has somehow somehow he is dumb and also has no chemistry but he still has a whole army that listens to him it makes zero sense the poster as well is fucking horrible because it's a drawing of wallace berry made to look more mexican than he is oh it's bad dude and he becomes friends with this guy that is also trying to fight for mexico and no one is really a fan of him but Pancho is basically in love with him at this point and he fights with him and then he becomes the president but he gets murdered and Pancho gets exiled and then he comes back because he's angry that his friend got murdered and he saves the country. That is the short version of it and I it's not worth it to even go into it more than that. It's just it's a boring movie, it's yep. misrepresentation, yep. it has an asshole of an actor. Yep. 
Um, Mostly to me, I, I don't know. I just I thought it was really boring. I had so trouble fucking getting boring. through it. Variety called it a corking western, and Vanity Fair wrote, "There's no denying the fact that Wallace Beery is not everybody's villa. Obviously, because he's not Mexican." Mexican press was less nice. They called it derogatory to Mexico and urged for it to be boycotted. Mm. And when it premiered in Mexico uh, in 1934, exploding firecrackers were set off to interrupt the showing. That pretty much tells I you. Understand? I understand. Yeah. Another version was made in 2003, starring Antonio Banderas, known as Puss in Boots from Shrek. Most expensive cable movie, television movie ever made, and pretty good reviews all across the board. So if you really are interested in Pancho Villa, watch that one. Okay, yeah. Just watch that one. To, to any listener interested, don't skip this one. Skip this it's one. It's not worth it. Pancho's second-in-command is a super annoying character. Yeah. There's this gag where every time Pancho will go, shut up, and it's super annoying because every time this guy opens his mouth, it will just be a shut up, and it's... Yeah. <laughs> well, you want to run through some fucking facts? Yeah. They're not fun, but there's facts. No. Is it Wallace Berry? <laughs> oh, also... Well, I think there's only one real thing about him, which is that he hated filming in Mexico, so he had a private plane on standby to whisk him off to El Paso or Mexico he, City whenever he wanted to. Has he, he ever done a movie to. that he did like? Shooting? I don't know, man. I don't know with this guy. Apparently, Pancho Villa's widow did like it. She sent a letter oh, to the producer telling well, him that cute. she really liked Wallace Beery's interpretation of her husband. Okay, well, I, I can respect that. Yeah. For her. Now, we get into the horrors of this. Originally, Lee Tracy was cast as Johnny Sykes, but he got drunk, urinated from his hotel balcony onto a passing military parade. So they uh, they had to sort of sacrifice him in order to be allowed to continue filming there. Also, they killed a bunch of horses. No. Yeah, there was a device used on horses at that time that made them fall before the camera. Horses now are trained to just do that themselves, so they could have done that back then, they just didn't. So, yeah, they essentially put a harness on the horse, secured a piano wire, and at the end, uh, it would reach the length wire, be tripped, and just sort of, like, be injured so badly they had to put it down, or sometimes even just break its neck instantly. Uh, okay. Fucking inhumane. Ridiculous. They designed some medals that closely resembled the Legion of Honor, which is France's highest military accolade, so they had to apologize for that, and redesign the medals. The original director quit the production because he felt it wasn't safe because there was gun-toting revolutionaries all around, no safety standards, and uh, someone killed himself in front of the director. What the fuck? Yeah, Hawks lasted 10 weeks and then said, you know what, nah, fuck yourself, I'm out, I'm, I'm leaving. And also, apparently most of the footage was lost in a plane crash, uh, so they had oh to reshoot God. after he left. Yeah. Wallace Beery uh, also apparently had played Pancho Villa before in 1917, uh, in a silent serial. Mm, okay. So this was like, you know, a thing, I guess. Not good. Not good, indeed. Consistently, the film breaks the Hays Code because it was released just before the enforcement of it. So, well mm. done, I guess. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no Hispanic actors were cast in the film. <laughs> they The original screenplay was so long that they considered making it in two parts. Uh, but then MGM said, no, no one's going to watch two movies on this. Cut it the fuck down. Good call, honestly. I just don't understand if you're going to make... If you're going to make a movie that's already fucked up in so many ways, at least make it a good movie. At least make it a good I mean? movie, right? 
audiences complained about the title because they misinterpreted it as being foreign language, so they suggested an alternative title, Robin Hood of the Rio Grande. No. Yeah, they eventually decided to not do that because it would be slightly fucked up. Yes. Um, and then my final is the, um, um, actually. Actually. Yeah, um, actually, at, at some point. At some point, Vila says uh, something isn't worth a nickel, but nickels don't exist in Mexican currency, uh, so it's extremely unlikely that an uneducated Mexican man would su- use such an Americanism. Which isn't See, actually, but is... also do some fucking research. Yeah, this is this is one of the there like fruit um actuallys of this episode. I feel like some are yeah reasonable that you would choose to not do this in the, this way in a movie because it's gonna take too long or it's gonna yeah. be not selfish but come on things this is like something this. you should just like have paid attention to um, yeah yeah so yeah that's this okay and then we have one one more movie which is the white parade but we didn't watch that we didn't watch that <clears throat> because it doesn't exist well it does exist uh, it exists in the UCLA film archive there's one print yeah. of it which is in rough shape. Several frames are out of alignment. The whole picture at times looks bleached out and very fuzzy. And near the end of the film, a sign pops up indicating Real 7. So it's all a bit messy, which is why it was never released for home video because the only print they mm-hmm. have kind of sucks. But um, yeah. it's a movie based on a novel by Ryan James. So we could we could re- we could have read the novel, I guess. No. <laughs> um, no, we could not have. It was dedicated to the memory of Florence Nightingale, who is, you know, famous nurse. And it concerns the travails and romances of young women who study to become nurses um, oh yeah it would seem like a pretty interesting movie loretta young was in it and i, I quite like loretta young so mm. that would have been would have been all right to see but uh not today not this day not today um no, it's all right today. because it, it it didn't win best picture anyway i'll give you that one for free yeah so at least we we're not skipping out on a winner so yeah i'm um, actually we couldn't see this movie i'm um, actually we couldn't see this movie <laughs> Um, yeah, top top eleven. Top eleven. I think we can say top ten. I think Viva Villa is eleven. Viva Villa is eleven. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay. Cool. I think our number ten will also be the same. Uh, House of Rothschild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. George Arliss, please. Stop making movies, man. Stop doing. Just cut it. it. <laughs> Just cut it. Just cut it out. I love that you have a passion for it, but also... I, mm, no, yeah. No. He also just comes across as this guy that's just... He only takes on roles that are really... Oscar bait. Yeah, Oscar yeah. bait, ass-kissing. He uh, really wants to do this like sort of prestigious thing. Like, yeah. at some point, didn't he at some point... He played Alexander Hamilton in a time period where Hamilton was like early 30s while George Arliss was already like mid-60s. Yeah. Like, just let it go. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> Next for me, probably Flirtation Walk, number nine. Mm. Not that I didn't like it, just that it was the least interesting yeah. out of the ones we have It's now. between that and the Barrett's of Wimple Street. Same for me. Yeah, I'll also put Flirtation Walk on nine, and then eight Barrett's would be on Barrett's eight, of Wimple yeah. Street. Seven for me would be One Night of Love. Yeah, me too. But that was seven, look so we have... Us. Oh my god, look at us go. So look six... Either Gay Divorcee or Here Comes the Navy. Here Comes the Navy for me. I'd agree. Because I think Gay Divorcee is probably number five for me. Mm, it's higher for me than that. Number five. Is it higher prob- for you than that? Because the four movies that are left are... Yeah, but so the thing is... Uh, I really applaud Imitation of Life for being so progressive. But just judging it as a movie and how much I enjoyed it watching it. 
it has to be my number five. Ooh. Okay, then here is where we are going to diverge big time. Mm-hmm. Because number five for me is Here Comes the Navy. Number four is Cleopatra. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Again, this is because I'm a Cleopatra buff. I'm an Egypt buff. So this... Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like Cleopatra, but I don't know that much about her. So I... <laughs> no, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's see. We're on number four, huh? Yeah. Actually, no, no, no. I take it back. My number five is the Finn Men because I was so <gasps> confused with the sorry, but there were so many characters that I couldn't entire, uh, entirely follow dare. it, so I cannot put it higher than that. And then my number four will be Imitation of Life. Right. Okay. And number three. Number three would then have to be. It happened one night. I think my number three is also It Happened One Night. Okay. Okay. And okay. then I think we're going in reverse order because my number two would be Imitation of Life. Hmm. My number two would be Cleopatra. Mm. Yeah, that's what I figured. We've reversed their top fives because my number right. one is the Thin Man. My number one is the Gay Diversity. That's out of left field, but I do understand. I it's definitely not my favorite out of the years we've had. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know. I just I thought it was really funny. That's I fair, enjoyed yeah. watching it, and there was not anything that I thought was better. Yeah, no, I don't that's know if that's what number one being number one in my list means. I, guess. I had this with <laughs> the Thin Man, where I was like, I'm actually kind of interested in watching the sequels now, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So. I think I also just like musicals, which yeah, I didn't realize as much until I started doing this. But the Forty Second Street, yeah. and now, it, yeah, I don't know. I just like it. Yeah, not hey, all of them though, because fun, you know, yeah, the one night, the one night thing. No, no, one night of love um, did not do it for me. Okay, so we have uh, we have one honorary award. Okay. Which is the Academy Juvenile Award, which went to Shirley Temple. Oh, okay. Which okay. makes sense. She got a little award for that. That makes sense. She was a massive. Yeah. But this also makes her the youngest Oscar recipient, because she was six. Oh, six. Six. Which is kind of fucked up, right? Yeah. Then, our winner. Our winner? Yeah. Out of these Big 12 winner. movies, or 11, because White Parade didn't win it, which one sweeped? Because it, it sweeped. Best picture, best director, best actor, best yeah. actress, best screenplay. Best actor, best actress. Okay, that's a hint. Because then it can't be, for example, The Thin Man. Because that doesn't have... I don't think that has a, a female character that's important enough to give that to. Ooh, this is a really hard one. I thought about this earlier. And I'm like, I'm not sure what it would be. So yeah. It, so, so what I should say about this. It's um, yeah. the first of only three films to date to sweep the top five. I can't believe this is the year that this happens because I don't think any of these movies were good enough for that. But, no, um, especially because the next two that we're going to get for this sweep are so obvious. Where okay. this one kind of falls by the wayside. But yeah. Well, the ones that would make sense to me, I'm just going to go through my list and see which ones would make sense. Cleopatra, I would not be surprised, mostly because the pattern here so far, mm-hmm. the last six episodes has been that extravagance gets rewarded and... Cleopatra definitely was the most extravagant one. Barrett's of Wimpole Street, I don't know. I don't think so because I don't just don't think so. But maybe Norma Shearer and and Frederick March are very popular, so it would maybe make sense for actor actress. Gaydir for C would be possible. Oh God, it happened one night is also possible. It's not Viva Villa. It's also not the House of Rothschild. I love how Rothschild is German. And Dutch. Yeah. Like, you can pronounce Rothschild. this. Ro- okay, Rothschild? Rothschild, yeah. 
Rothschild. Yeah, but the, in the movie they call it Rothschild. So. Yeah, but they're but, idiots. Yeah, Rothschild. Are we really going to believe George Arliss? Like, <laughs> you're right. Imitation of Life. I can't. Be- be- I don't think they would actually do that. I'm already surprised it got nominated. One Night of Love. I hope not. I hope not. Here comes the Navy. Not impressive enough. Flirtation Walk. I also don't believe that was extravagant enough. So comes down to Cleopatra, the Barretts, the Gate of Sea, and it happened one night. Have your guess. I don't think it's the Barretts. I can't. I. I. That's. It's definitely not good enough for that. I also don't think it was the Gate of Sea. I just like that a lot, but realistically, I'm gonna. I'm gonna just go with the pattern here and say it's Cleopatra. The Oscar goes to. Uh, it happened one night. Yeah. Clean sweep. No. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was fine. It was... I, I mean, I put it quite high on my list, but like... Clean sweep. All five Academy Award categories. Known as the Oscar Grand Slam. This is the... Uh, like, there's two other movies that did this. This is the only of the, one of the three that wasn't nominated for anything else. Just these five. And it won all five of them. I disagree, man. I understand. I Again, I really like this, but I think there was movies here that could have gotten it a lot better actually yeah same i mean i the actress and actor one i both very much agree with i really like clark gable and i also think it makes sense for claudette colbert to at least win <laughs> for one of the three out of 12 movies she was in but um yeah no she she obviously took not that. best picture not no but uh you know it is what it is it is what it is indeed. at least it wasn't speed of her villa it could have been worse that's true it could have been worse yeah there's a few facts about this which is the fact that along with this being a clean sweep it also is the first film to win both best actor and best actress oh it is the first best picture winner to win either best actor or best actress actually mm-hmm. and therefore the first to win both it is the first film to win most combinations of these awards a lot of these combinations have just never been done. Like, th- this movie just, uh-huh. bam, cleared the board. It's yeah. also the first film to win at least five Academy Awards. Like, this is the highest one we have oh. so far, which is That's crazy. insane. That's, like, 42nd Street didn't even win last year, and now... now... 42nd Street also just wasn't that good. I'm sorry. Okay, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny to me that this one won, specifically because Colbert, after filming was done, complained to her friend saying... I just finished the worst picture in the world. Yeah, all of it. They didn't even... The crew no, didn't even want to be Columbia there. as well ex- had really low expectations. They didn't really do, like, a, an advertising campaign for it. They just won. Oh, To the point God. where Cla- Claudette Colbert was so convinced that she would lose to Betty Davis, the write-in nominee. And she decided to just not attend the awards. Oh. She went on a little trip. She had an outfit made for the trip. It was like a two-piece suit. Uh, like a sort of like tracksuit mm-hmm. and then she won so <laughs> one of the producers was sent to the train station to drag her out of her train that hadn't <laughs> left yet to get her up on stage oh my god that's amazing <laughs> yeah clark gable gave his oscar away he gave oh. it to a child who really admired the statue and he oh. told him it's about the winning not owning of the statue and after clark died the child returned the oscar to the gable family oh yeah, after which, in 1996, Steven Spielberg anonymously purchased it to protect it from further commercial exploitation and gave it back to the Academy of Motion Pictures, Aww. commenting that he could think of no better sanctuary for Gable's only Oscar. That's amazing. That's, that's great. 
That's that's good stuff. His only Oscar. He didn't win for. Call he didn't win wind. for anything else, Clark that's Gable. That's rude. Yeah. So, uh, absolutely crazy. Yeah. Well, this was a year. It this was a lot of movies, a year. but it's not gonna stop. It's gonna be just the same amount next year, I think. Uh, yup. Yeah. I'm gonna give you a uh, one more thing, one okay. one final little thing, and it is the fact that there's two more movies to perform a clean sweep. We're gonna get them somewhere yeah. in the 70s and somewhere okay. in the 90s, and okay. the common link between all three of these movies is that in all three films, one character instructs another character to put or throw something in the basket. Oh, that's so specific. It is wildly specific. Well, you heard it here first, guys. If you want to win, if you want to have a clean sweep at the Oscars. Put or throw something in the basket. Exactly. To be fair, I think it's more of a, like, you know, not all hot tubs are jacuzzis, but all jacuzzis are hot tubs. It's not that every movie within that will make a clean sweep, but every movie that is going to make a clean sweep has to have that in it. Are you sure? (laughs) You think it isn't like if you have that, that you automatically clean sweep? We can try. We can try. We'll try our next short, you know. Yeah, we'll just stick it in there. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, Um, Yeah. Not a bad year, not a crazy good year, but... There was some gems in there, but... Uh, yeah, last episode we already had too good of a year, so it was to be expected. But I hope you enjoyed. I do indeed very much Dear hope listener. you enjoyed. Thank you for listening. As always, we'd like to thank our wives and the Academy. And um, we'll see you next year at the 8th Academy Awards in 1935. Wait, 1936, 1936. Nin- 1936, but released during 1935. Hosted by Frank Capra. Oh, Isn't cool. that wild? So, yeah, yeah. that's cool. See you, see you next see you year. Next month. <laughs> Same thing. Bye-bye. Same thing. Thank you for listening to episode 7 of I'd Like to Thank My Wife. New episodes are out every last day of the month. If you're looking for something to watch this month, our resident horse girl E recommends Spirit, Stallion of the Chimarron, a phenomenal movie about horses that somehow gets all the emotions across despite having barely any dialogue. Dijo recommends the Star Wars Holiday Special. It's Christmas, get in the spirit. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our show, and we'll see you next month.